This is Mr. Hayes, and you listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts. MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain! Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player! It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam! Either version, I love both versions. And other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is Mr. Hayes, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. What's happening in Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation, listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. It's a real, real big honor for us to uh, to get you on the line and uh, spend a bit of time talking to you. It's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. The other thing I should do is introduce the rest of the Peach and Black podcast panel. So I'm Rob. Okay. Uh, we, we also have another three guys on the show. So you're surrounded by four people on this uh, virtual roundtable today. We've got Player. Hey, Morris. <laughs> player? Yep. Hey, hey. Uh, Toejan. Hey, Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> hey. Sydney, man. In Brisbane, yes. Yes. Funky town. Fantastic. <laughs> Bris Vegas. <laughs> and we've also got Captain on the line as well. Fantastic. All right. Captain is there. All right. So I, I guess let's let's get straight into it. I guess, uh, man, we've got so much to talk about and we're, we're so excited to uh, to ask you a few questions about your experience, obviously working with Prince, but just in the music industry in general over the last, you know, 20, 25 years or, or whatever the case may be. And I, I will start off with the Prince question right up front. And this one's a bit of a personal one for me because I remember seeing you for the first time as an audience member in uh, Switzerland in 2009 at the Montreux Jazz Festival. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and it was crazy for me, especially because I'm in the audience and it's like three quarters of the way through the first show in, uh, this is in July 2009, and all of a sudden Prince and the band go into this ballad sort of section where he does a few of his ballads, like Insatiable, Scandalous, and I look to the right and out comes Morris Hayes, all dressed in white, uh, Mr. Hayes, I should say, all dressed in white, up to the keys, and I'm like, wow, this uh, NPG trio just became a, a quartet. And that was just a real, real cool moment in the show. I'm sure you remember that. What are your memories of that performance? Oh yeah, I mean it was, it was man. Look, it was fantastic. It was it was very cool to have been there for that situation. Of course, you know Montreux is one of the biggest uh, festivals of its of its type, and so man, just to be there to play it with Prince and you know that crew was kind of like Prince's jazz crew. I always call that that was the kind of the jazz crew with Renato Neto and Ronda and John Blackwell. And it, that was like the, you know, the go get it cats on the jazz side. And so for him to like want me to come, like, you know, kind of add in flavor on those songs that he wanted to hit as well. You know, it was it was a really funny moment at that, that funny moment at that show too, man. Because, um, 
True Prince fashion, we kind of had an idea of how the show was going to go, and, and of course, he just changed it. And so I was out at the soundboard, you know, checking the sound, because he told me he's doing medicine to make sure the sound is cool and all of that. I'm like, sure. And then all of a sudden, he just changes everything and decides to go into, uh, you know, uh, all the critics love you, which I was playing on, and, and I'm way in the back, and, you know, it was a ton of people there, man. So I'm like, no! And started running <laughs> over the back, and he called me out, like, and like trying to wade through people, and I'm knocking people over, man, trying to get to the stage, and it was hilarious, man. I mean, um, it was pretty nuts. So it, it was, it was, it was very interesting, you know. And that was so, the so second. It was, it was, it was incredible uh, just to be there and, and, and to see that happen. So the other thing I was going to ask you about was um, I'm kind of hogging the mic up here, but I, I won't take too long, and I'll let the other guys on on as well. But North Sea Jazz 2011. Again, that was the second time that I saw you uh, as part of a band in a live setting. And um, those shows were just something else. It's just, diff- you know, three different shows, uh, three different nights, and you were there on oh, every yeah, night. What, what was your recollection of, of those three shows in yeah, uh, Rotterdam? Yeah. I mean, again, it was, it was crazy, man, because, you know, we had so many directions that we could go that the band could take and just the fact that I was kind of like you know Prince used to call me like the glue so he just said you know what to do more it's just just fill in the you know just fill in the spaces man and just you the glue so you know it was cool man I, I, I <laughs> it was a it was a few interesting moments I, I, I if I recall correctly because we did a few but um I think Seal had came up on one uh, uh, uh that may have been a, a different time but dude it was it was it was pretty hilarious because uh, I think he had a few drinks and, and uh, he did not uh, know the lyrics quite the way the lyrics went. So it was interesting, to say the least. Lyrically challenged. <laughs> Lyrically challenged. And we, he was not following the teleprompter. So it was pretty crazy, you know, how he, um, uh, his rendition of it, let me just say. <laughs> I think um, uh, all four of us were there for that uh, show, was, and we've all made several comments on this show about Seal since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Seal had that same problem in Australia. He got up on stage, I think it was at the oh, Ivy God, after yeah. show, and same thing, just, you know, once upon a time yeah, in Tennessee, yeah, and, that. yeah, he, he loves those lyrics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so he's done it twice. That was hilarious, too, in Australia when we were there when he came on. I, yeah, I think he was there doing The yep. Voice, I think, and he came in. To, 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 yeah, that was interesting, too, and I think he also yeah. he, he got to really see what, what, what loyalty to your band leader is. He he really wanted to go off and do one of his songs in the band. He kept trying to push it that way, and we just kind of stayed in our Prince mode. So <laughs> he was he found out very quickly that he did not wield uh, the the hammer of Thor uh, in this situation. So we just stayed in the hand of Thor. You know what I mean? I remember uh, we were talking to Eden Nielsen last year, and um, when we brought she up the seal so. the seal performance, uh, she couldn't stop laughing. Neither could we. It was just. <laughs> funniest comment i know man <laughs> it, it was it was hilarious man because he was just gone <laughs> <laughs> and i remember ada's face as well she was like she's playing the bass and then she's looking at prince she's looking at seal she's looking at prince she's looking at you she's looking at everyone in the band and everyone's just looking at each other with this like what is going on look <laughs> and then- yeah we yeah because everybody was trying to figure out what to do <laughs> It's, it's, it's like when something gets like really bad out of sync and you're just like, you can't stop it. It's like a slow train wreck. 
and, and, and I mean, really, and we love Seal, man. I mean, Seal is p completely dope. I mean, as far as an artist goes and all of that, I mean, he's a friend of ours, and so it's all in good fun. But, I mean, he's a dope cat, and we love him. But that was a really, that was one of those moments, man. You know, he had him a few drinks, and he was chilled all the way out. So it was really funny, man. <laughs> Fantastic. And the last thing I've got to ask you about, welcome to Australia, 2012. Any uh, unique memories or experiences while, while you were out here? Well, well, one thing is, man, uh, that was my first trip to Australia, man. And I'd always heard, you know, how you always hear about it and you always hear about it. Like, oh my God, it's great. You got to go. You got to go. And I had just missed Australia when I first started with Prince in 1992 when uh, the, the Diamonds and Pearls tour uh, went. And I just missed that by like only a, 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 by a small amount. And I was like, oh man, we missed Australia. Uh, but we'll pick up the Europe part of the tour. But man, it was like, to get there finally, man, and just see the country, how beautiful it is, man, how cool the people were, uh, you know, in all the different cities, man. And, and just to show, we we took this guy, Andy, with us, who was amazing, man, just to have him on and doing his thing with his guitar was unbelievable, man. And so it was, that was really cool to have him out because it was such a departure from what we normally did. And just to have him, uh, I mean, just added another layer to, to something that was already incredible, man. So... We had a blast, man, and, you know, the time off, you know, the few days that we had to kind of kick it, I went there to the to the zoo, you know, my uh, my wife had came at the time, and she had came, and it just was a lot of fun, man. We had a great time, and, you know, uh, we stayed in some really cool places. The food was great. It just was an all-around great experience, man, so that's why... Uh, for any of the guys that haven't been, I've been telling them, like, dude, you're going to love Australia, man. It's going to be, it's going to blow your mind. I'd actually want to move to Melbourne, man. I loved it so much. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Toe Jam, I think you got a question. Yeah, I got a, I got a question related to the Welcome to Australia, America, Canada tour. And that is um, on the uh, 2007 London shows, like you were on the stage, on the simple stage, playing your keyboards. On the Welcome To shows, you were kind of put out to the side somewhere, off the stage, kind of elevated. And, and so the first time I saw you play live was at one of the Welcome To shows. And I remember halfway through, suddenly Prince is like, you know, throws to a solo to you. And I'm like, oh, Morris is over there. Um, <laughs> I want to know, how, how did you end up over there <laughs> yeah. and not on the stage? And how did you feel about that? And what was the sort of thought process behind putting you there? Well, the, the, the short answer is, is Prince wanted the, you know, when we did the shows in London, uh, I didn't have the Hammond, the, the plexiglass see-through Hammond. And so he, he decided he wanted that sound. He wanted the organ back. And that organ, is as beautiful as it is, is pretty massive. He wanted me to have all of these other instruments. I had a Moog um, a Voyager that he wanted on there, too, for the, like the bass synth parts. And he just, you know, because I had been using some like software plugins and stuff like that. He just liked the real sound. So what I did was I switched back to the to the uh, organ to, to the B3 and to the the, the Moog Boyinger and then uh, I had a couple other keyboards that I just had and he just wanted that big uh, wide setup you know so I had a, like a, this whole horseshoe like setup of keyboards man like five or six keyboards and it was just like a pretty massive sound attack so he just wanted that back and so it took up so much real estate that symbol stage is cool looking but it's not very ergonomic for equipment so my stuff was so big he had to give me my own stage and it was, it was a bit of a challenge because it also gave me like a 45 to 60 millisecond delay so i'd see john's hands in one place or you know but the beat would be somewhere else and so i had to learn to play like um, a little bit uh, uh, uh ahead of the beat 
because I was like uh, delayed and everything. So it was just a, it was a bit of a challenge to like get my timing right. But it, you know, after doing it a few times, I kind of got the hang of it and then it was cool. I was the same. I remember at those Welcome to Australia shows, it was probably 15, 20 minutes before I realized that Morris was there because I, I just didn't see him on the stage and I didn't think to look anywhere else. And then, yeah, all of a sudden Prince like called Morris a solo or something. And I'm like, oh, he's up. He's up in this like tower up in, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, what's funny is I had a few people who thought I was the light guy. They said, uh, or, or, or sound guy doing lights or sound. And somebody like, yeah, man, the sound was great. I said, oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. You know, I just would go along with it. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody just thought I was the light guy or the sound guy. Uh, anyway, my question, playing with Prince for all those years, what did you personally prefer? Was it like the spontaneity of an after show where, you know, anything could happen or did you more prefer the routine of a main show where everything was rehearsed and most of the time you knew what was going to happen? Like as a musician, what was what was the most enjoyable for you out of those? Well, that's the thing, man. Each, each thing had its own thing. And, you know, to me, there was like three shows a day. There was three. The first show was the sound check. That was as long as, if not longer sometimes, than the show was. So the sound check would go from like three to seven like until they open the doors. So that's that was the longest part of the check. And so that was it could be anything. That could be jamming, that could be learning a new song, redoing an arrangement on a song, com just completely retooling everything. So that was in itself was work. The show seemed to be the easiest part to me because it's like once it starts, it's just on automatic pilot. It's just it's gonna go until it ends. And so there's no turning back. You just hit it and go. And then the after show is fun. I mean, it's because you don't know what's going to happen. We just call in stuff that we know, and it's going to be a big jam, and it's fun. So it's a little less you know, like stress-free. He still expects you to be able to um, execute uh, as though it was a main show because, I mean, it's not like you just like everybody's having fun and you can just play dog notes. It's still serious business, but... You know, the thing is, it's just a little bit more laid back because we're just calling songs and jamming, you know what I'm saying? We're just kind of like grooving and there was a lot less structure to it. Uh, but each one of them had its thing. I mean, I like the show because, you know, you got all the production and you got all of the stuff that goes with the choreography and all of this sort of thing so you can see it. But I think that uh, that whole scenario was a well-rounded way to like do music because we created a lot of the songs we ended up recording and like in Soundcheck. And, and so, uh, you know, every piece of that situation during the course of the day was important. And so we just always wanted to make sure that, you know, we did everything ex execution-wise, that the sound was as best we could make it. And Prince was a real stickler for sound. And so that process took way longer than any normal band would take to, to do that because he's, like, micromanaging it. So that, that caused it to take three times as long as it should have. So, um, but, but, you know, again, it just meant more playing time for us, the tighter we got. And, and, and if we noticed anything need to be changed or fixed, we'd do it there or add it for that matter. You know, so it was cool. That just reminds me of in 2002 on that One Night Alone tour, I saw a show in Japan and that was when MPG Music Club was in existence. So we got into the sound check and yeah, it was like around three o'clock, 3.30. There was literally like three and a half hours of sound check. I think they kicked us out at about 6.30 and then yeah. doors opened at seven and we were back in for the main show. And yeah, man, you just guys played like 
all afternoon, all night. It just never ended. Yeah, and then you go to the then you go to the after show and do that until the sun comes up sometimes. And so That's it. and then you start it over again another the next day or whenever the next show is. So it was it was work, man. I mean it, but that's just what we that's what I did from the time I got there till I left, man. So it just was like routine, you know. Uh that just is what it is. But that's what made that band so good, uh, is that they worked, you know, we they, we worked. And and so you have to be on top of it because Prince was going to be on top of it, man. So he knew his stuff and you had to know yours. So that's what it was. Cool. Uh, my question's a little bit more nerdier and I don't know if you could clear this up for us or not. But in the early 2000s, Prince suggested that you were at the helm of remastering his back catalog. And uh-huh. if that's the case, how much of that got done? And did you have to play any new instrumentation on it to make it sound different? And, you know, was it a daunting task handling such an important project? Well, I actually fought him on it and I won. Uh, I, I told him that I really didn't want to do that. Prince, uh, you know, I was really savvy on my computer and, and I knew how to run, you know, this one audio, audio editor that I used to use, Bias Peak was a really dope audio editor. And I, could, I, I had it down so well, I, you know, I could put plugins on stuff and re-effect music and he was listening to me redoing stuff like that and he was like dude you got to go back and redo all of this and, and and also you know he had just you know really got on the jehovah witness thing and man he wanted to actually go back and take some of the swear words out of the music and i told him i wouldn't do it i just said i'm not i said prince i could do it i don't want to do it don't ask me to do it and i just said i said prince of all people you should know I said, and I understand because, you know, he was on this on this vibe that he was just like, I'm ashamed of a lot of the stuff that I said, man. It was a lot of rough stuff and this, that, and the other. And I said, but Prince, you know what, man? That's just part of your journey. And, and, and you can't unring the bell. Everybody's got those records. We got them. I got them. Everybody's got those records. You can't take that away. And I just said, what you can do is from this point, just from wherever you are right now, just forge your head where you are now and don't swear on your on your records or whatever you want to do. But you can't undo what's already been done, bro. And I, I, and I don't want to have your fans coming after me with a hatchet talking about you just ruined all of this music. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm in, the, I'm the dude that's like, Mr. Who, I even had some people like, who do you think you are to go and fix? I'm like, no, 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 that's not me. I don't want to, I don't want any parts of that. I don't want to fix. And I told him, I said, I don't want to do that. I'm not a master. And I said, there are guys who get Grammys and Oscars and all kinds of stuff for mastering stuff. And I'm not that dude. So I don't want no parts of it because if it sucks, then you're going to hang the hat on me and then I'm, I'll be the goat of the year. So he respected your, your answer? Yeah, he did. And I got off the hook and because yeah, I told him, I just told him flat out, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want no parts of it. Do you know if he took that project to somebody else then once you said no or you just didn't hear I, I, of it? I don't, after that? I don't think so. I just kind of, I think I was able to convince him. I, I don't know, of course, anything beyond 2012. I, I just don't know. But... Uh, I just maybe I'm hoping I was able to convince him like, you know, bro, you can't unring the bell and, and you don't need to do that. I mean, people love that music. I love it. There's nothing wrong. He used to yell at me when I wanted to redo something. He's like, well, don't you like it? I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. And he said, well, then what, what, why do you want to change? Don't you like it? Right. And I said, well, well yeah, you know how these hip hoppers do. He said, well, no, leave it alone. You, know, you, know, you like it, right? I said, yeah, well, yeah. I said, Prince, you know how the hip hoppers do. You know, they just take a beat and they just make something new out of it. No. <laughs> I was like, okay. See, uh, we were kind of surprised by the Purple Rain remaster that came out this year. We thought that maybe that might have had some sort of alteration, like you were saying, but it seemed to come out untouched. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, granted, look, he used to 
kind of be puzzled a lot of times. I remember we were just sitting listening to some Dr. Dre records and just some of the stuff that, uh, you know, like the hip-hop cats were doing. And sonically, you know, they were just doing a lot of this you know, brick wall compression where it was just like just when you look at the, the the board and you look at the sound, the needles on the console and the meters on the console, it'd just be hitting like all in the red, but it wouldn't be distorting, you know? And he was just trying to figure out like, how did these cats get this? I said, you know, the stuff like so loud and so just like it's so hitting, but it's not distorting like, you know, because a lot of times when you see, you know, if you don't really understand the concept of sound, it's like just because it's in the red doesn't mean that it's necessarily like it's a it's a transient thing. You know, you have some transients that have faster attacks and, and they you'll peak in the red, but it's not like it's loud. It's just hitting in the red because of the transient. But uh, they had a, this the, 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 the way that they would limit and compress. Uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, the their sound was just like clobbering because you could just turn it up and it'd just be like, man, this is crazy. And I think he was really trying to figure out how they were getting that to sound that way. And I just said, well, just call Dr. Dre. You know, you can do that. Just <laughs> <laughs> do that. <laughs> yeah. And just see yeah. who his dude is and then get him to come over here and just like get them to do that to our records, man. I mean, you know, but sonically, I just think it's, you know, the samples and the, some of the other stuff already had a lot of it, it was how you started out with the sound that you that you had in the beginning i think is was the key you know we were playing live instruments and a lot of stuff like that and a lot of that stuff in the hip-hop world is like it's like all kind of processed and and and, and compressed and all kinds of stuff to, so that stuff just pounds so you know that's that's kind of what that was and but i don't think uh that there was any other stuff done other than just kind of run it back through and, and just kind of like, uh, you know, kind of use some of the new technology that they have for like uh, the, the, the mastering process now, you know, um, you know, Antelope and a lot of the other companies out there now have stuff that's just like crazy now, man, that you can just run stuff through and it's like, it's banana sandwiches, man, it just like pounds. And I think that's what uh, maybe what happened with some of that. And that's all it really needed. That stuff is master, that's a masterpiece. I mean, all it needs to be is just like rerun through something that gives it that kind of a uh, presence that some of the records have now. I think, you know, when I listen to some of the older records, that's what I notice. It's just like sonically, they're not as loud as some of the new records are. That sounds just like when we talked to Prince and he was talking about remastering the older albums like Sign of the Times and stuff because they don't sound as great as they could. And he was just like, man, you just run it through some computers, push a few buttons and it <laughs> You know, instant bass, bang, done. That's all you got to do. Well, I have to tell you, I've I, I, a buddy of mine uh, works at, at at this company called Antelope, and and, and it, it, I'm telling you, I went over there, and and I saw him like just take a, a like a Taylor Swift or somebody's stuff and just run it through this thing, and it was man, I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, I mean, these cats with this technology, man, I'm telling you, we're in the age of the dark arts and some of this stuff. Like, I don't know how they can make some of this stuff do what it does now. It's, it's really remarkable. Like, like some of the techniques and some of the equipment that they've manufactured, like software and hardware, that can go in and do things that we never could have imagined. I mean, there's this one program called Melodyne that you can actually fix bad notes in a two-track mix. You can go in and open it up. And then I said, this is the work of Satan. I'm like, what kind of... How can you do this? I mean, it was crazy. And, and that's the technology, man, because people are now challenging, you know, the norms and what used to be impossible are now it's possible to do. Some things you have to wonder, why would you do it? You know, it's like fixing the Mona Lisa. It's like, uh, I, I don't know if that's a good idea. 
they can do it but i just why would you change the guitar solo in purple rain just because you can you know you just that's just is what it is you have to let that be there's a track i mean even i with my editing program you know i just wanted to see how good i was at it and i used to could just like take and I remember there's on 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 a Ohio Players song, Skin Tight. There's a section where the drum, where Diamond the drummer, kind of comes back in, and it's I mean, this song is like over six seven minutes long, and it's grooving, you know, and and you know after they've been playing that long on a track, and you get like seven eight minutes into the track, and you make a mistake at the end, they're like, well we're not starting over, dude. That was like classic. We'll leave the little blurb in, and I just fixed it. I just went in and like he came like he he just came in and came off a little bit. And I was just like, oh, he, he just dropped tempo right there. And I just went and fixed it. But it was like, it, it was like, okay, you fixed it, but, but what did you do? Like, you, you just, that's sacrilege. You just kind of took a classic piece and you just, you mess with it. You know what I mean? And so it was just like, it was for myself. But, but it just kind of gives you that, that, that philosophical question. Like, should I be doing that? You know, it's, that's what made that what it is, is the imperfection sometimes is what makes a, a record have a soul. And I don't want to take the soul out of it by just making everything perfect. It's just like, that's not even human. We're not, we're not perfect. And so to try to like go in and just, and that's why music probably feels like it does. It's because they, they, they take all of the human and the emotion out of it. And, and it's just like rigid machines and things like this. And so that's what he kind of railed against you know i think in the end i mean we use machines and stuff but you can't let the machines use you man i mean we have to be in control of that and use them to our liking you know yeah well that's that situation's not that different from him asking you to go back and remove the swearing from songs that's the same thing it's like you can't touch that stuff that's it is what it is yeah but which is why i had to put him on blast i mean that but that was another thing that was him fighting with his spirituality and feeling like because he had came to this place spiritually that he was embarrassed about it you know that he had said all of these things it's just like his eyes were open to like i don't you know i don't need to you know larry graham challenged him on on the situation like he asked him he said man you know could you do your songs without swearing and you know and prince told me the story he said he said well yeah you know of course i could he said but it's like he got his hand spanked and 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 and, and, and he realized that you know i i could say what i wanted to say without, you know, being provocative in that kind of a way. And, you know, and it's just growing up, man. It's just like, you know, I, to be personally, man, for me, you know, it, it was a lot of racy stuff that was done. And sometimes it was a, a bit over the top to me. You know, I was, to, I was like, ooh, okay. But <laughs> it got to where everybody could come to his show, man. Like kids could come. Nobody had to cover their ears. You know, it was a good time for everybody. And I really dug that, man. I, I like the fact that, Anybody from any age could come and it and they wouldn't feel like, oh, my God, I got to like, you know, like tape my kids ears and in their eyes so they don't see all. Of, I mean, it, it was cool. It just made it like a, like everybody could come and enjoy it. And I, and I dug that, man. I, I really don't have a problem with that. You know, Prince was young. He did a lot of stuff that, that youngsters do. He was rambunctious, man. He'd jump out on the ledge. And I mean, that's what you do when you're a kid. And, you know, youth is wasted on the young. I get it. But 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 he grew up and he just came to a place where he matured and, and, and was more concerned about the, everybody's experience than just, you know, a lot of people who like to, yeah, yeah, say everything. You know, he was a clever guy. He could say anything he wanted to say and, and you still get the message, but he didn't have to be vulgar about it. It's really cool, Morris, also to hear you actually go back to Prince and say, now, wait a minute, oh, 
I'm not going to do this. Like, I, I yeah. see what you're saying, but I don't think it's a good idea. And by the way, I don't think I'm going to be doing this because I get the sense that maybe not everyone would have been, would have had the guts to look at him and say that. So that's cool to hear as well. You, you know what it is, man? I think that was the secret to my longevity because, you know, I, man, I was pretty much the worst keyboard player he had, but I stayed longer than anybody because I got him. I understood him. <laughs> And and my thing was, is that, you know, man, I'm a country boy. My dad always told me, like, son, everybody put their pants on the same way, brother. And and so my thing is, at the end of the day, this man was my boss, but he was just another man. And if, I think if a fight that broke out, I could whoop him. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I knew he wasn't going to beat me up. So I just wanted to be honest and be where I could tell him the truth and, like, you know, and yeah. just say my piece respectfully and, and then... You know, because I didn't want, because the other, the prince was a double-edged sword, because if it didn't go right, then I knew I was going to get the axe for it. You know, I'm going to get the, <laughs> I'm going to get smoked over it. Like, well, and he had a little short memory thing when it came to stuff like that. I'll be, well, Prince, you told me. No, I didn't. I was like, but yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> I didn't say that. Now, wait a minute. That way, but you did say it, you know, and we'd have the arguments like that. And where he was like, no, I didn't say that. I'm like, but, but yeah, you did. You said something about the seventh wave. And well, that's not what that meant. And I'm like, well, okay, well, <laughs> you know, so I'm not holding the bag. So I just said, no, whenever it's no, I'm going to be able to tell him like, no, Prince, I don't want to run the nightclub. Nope. I don't want to fly an airplane. Nope. And I just would be like, no. And and I, cause I'm the keyboard player. I was like, you know, like if you ever saw Star Trek and see what a doctor, I'm not an elevator. I'm a doctor. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'd be like, no, I'm not a nightclub run. Like Morris, you should run a nightclub. Nope. Morris, you should do a comedy record. Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> he always wanted me to that do comedy. That must've earned his respect big time. He may, may not have maybe initially shared that with you, but that, that must have, because I'm, I'm imagining most people probably just kind of shook their head and said, okay, all right, yes, Prince. Prince. Yes, Prince. I'll yes, boss. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's, it's been a few of us that came through that, that they got him like that and understood. And I think the ones that stayed the longest uh, understood that, man. It just sometimes you had to, because I would do a lot of things that was um, out of my comfort zone or out of my area of expertise. And, and I think that only helps you expand. You know, I, I, some of that stuff was a challenge and, and I didn't know how to do it until I got pushed in a situation to do it. I, I think that's fine. I think that helps you to understand a different situation, a different thing. Uh, however, I knew that Prince, more than anything, disliked failure and, and disliked uh, when, when you didn't do something in a good way, a good job of it. And so I knew that I could get off the hook if I told him, like, Prince, if I do it, it's going to be ruined. Then I, that was the easy out because he was going to be like, well, I can't have it ruined. So never mind, you know. Uh, there's a funny story. Uh, one of our guys, this, he, I, he was our basically Scotty to the Starship Enterprise named Sal Greco. And Sal was our, uh, you know, chief engineer that was, uh, you know, that fixed everything at the studio. Anything broke at the studio, Sal was Scotty. He could fix anything. And um, we were in Monaco, man, you know, doing the stuff in Monaco. And uh, I think it's when we did the World Music Awards. And he had flown Sal over like, we like, why is he flying Sal? He brought Sal over to, to shoot video, which is like having Jacques Cousteau clean your fish tank. It's just like, <laughs> so it was like, why did he bring Sal over to shoot, just to shoot some video? So Sal shoots this video, we're at Stars and Bars and we're doing this stuff. And we get back to Prince's Hotel because, man, we watch every show. Like, we shoot, we play the show and then we have to watch it afterwards. So we play for three hours and then we go watch it for three hours and we got back to his hotel room and uh all we see is feet and butts 
and we and we're looking at the tape and we're like this is terrible and and then he said yeah okay we won't be bringing sal back for any more videos and so i see sal i see sal the next day and i'm like sal dude that video sucked man prince was like yeah we're not bringing you back for anything. And he said, yeah, mission accomplished because I didn't want to come in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> so he did it on purpose. And that meant, and so Prince never asked him. He said, yeah, that, that'll fix that. And he was right. He didn't ask Sal to come and do any more videos. And Sal was like, great. I don't, I don't ever want to come back and do that again. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Sal is indeed a genius. He's a genius. Just real quick, uh, you mentioned Dr. Dre records before, and that kind of surprised me a little bit because I wouldn't imagine that Prince would be listening to that stuff necessarily, even from an audio perspective. So I'm, I'm wondering, who brought those records in? Was that something you were kind of banging to at the time? or? Well, I mean, I, I didn't, but I mean, we like Dr. Dre. We like uh, Snoop and all of them cats, man. I mean, because they're, they're basically, you know, regenerating the old school stuff anyway. A lot of the stuff that they would sample was all like George Clinton and james and a lot of different stuff like that anyway that's the school that they were from they just were just putting a hip-hop thing over the top so we had a lot of respect for dre and for for you know for what that was coming out of the west coast and the east coast rap and everything and 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 the, the bottom line is sonically you know they were doing some things with those records i mean that was you know like i said that brick wall mastering kind of sound was 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 happening and them songs used to groove man because they just take those those samples and then just put a smash on them and then drop the thing over the top. So uh, I think it's, you know, we, we can't discount the art form, man. And, 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 and you know, because you know, be your taste or whatever, you may not like, you know, what they're saying and, you know, the, just the subject matter and that sort of thing. But from a sonic uh, kind of perspective, there was definitely something that, you know, to be learned and to be, you know, from, from listening to that. I mean, it was like, it was pounding, man. I mean, it's like, uh, I, I say the same thing about, uh, uh, Marilyn Manson, man, Marilyn Manson. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I was brought up in the church, so most of what he says, I got a problem with. But you can't argue with that, man. Them jokers was just clobbering, man. If you go see them play, it just sound like a train was coming down the tracks. It was just crazy. Execution is on point, right? It's execution, man. And, and he's a smart kid. We talked to him too. I mean, I, again, I wouldn't. You know, I'm, not, I'm not a record buyer of, of Marilyn Manson, but I have a healthy respect for for what he was doing in terms of. Just his playing, and I mean, just the band, and just like the sound. I mean, it was crazy, and so you know, that's that's all that is is a musical thing. It just you know, we I appreciate a lot of different styles. I always grew up listening to like rock and roll and you know Zeppelin and and all kinds of stuff because that's the channels that would come in where I lived out here in the woods, man. It's like the FM stations, you know, would come in, and mostly those were rock and roll or country stations. So I got, I got, I, I used to dig listen to country. I dig listen to rock and roll, you know. So because sonically, it just was something that that resonated with me sonically. So I completely get why he would listen to Dre and like lots of the other stuff. It was because it was just like sonically just pounding and just like it's about learning like well, okay, well what what is this technique? What is the the recording process of that? Now I did had to get on him about. Uh, I remember we took one of the new records, I think around about 2000 and, wow, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there. Uh, we were like at the 77 house. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it was around Lotus Flower, or like right prior to that. And we just, you know, he would take some stuff to demo at the clubs. And we were sitting in this club in L.A., you know, we were in West Hollywood, we were just jamming. And he sends a little CD, he, you know, gives Raul the, the disc and tell the DJ, yeah, put that on right there, you know, put that on. And they had been playing some of his older songs, and they just pounding, dude. 
And just like, you know, like a, a sexy dancer came on, just smoking in the club. Just clobbering. Sound system is just, just thud. And then they, uh, he sends over the disc with the new stuff on, comes in just tiny sounding, you know, just like not mastered, just just tiny sounding. And he's like telling, you know, Raul, like, yeah, you should tell him to go turn the bass up. And I said, ah, ah, ah. I said, see? <laughs> see, I'm the foil in it. I go, I said, see, Prince? See, who who mixed the other stuff? Is that Susan? Is that who? Let's go get them to just mix. To mix <laughs> because if the old stuff is clobbering, we just repeat that formula, man. We don't need to reinvent the wheel because we got to have them turn the bass up to get this to where the, the old track was. You know, so I was like, and I just would get him too, man. I'd be like, nah, uh, 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 see, if we got to turn the bass up, that means we need to fix it back at Paisley before we bring it over here. You know, because we're not doing something right if we got to turn it up because the old track is bombing this one. You know what I'm saying? As far as the level and sounds, uh, th as that stuff goes, we have to, there's something happening in our engineering. And I think it was just at that point, you know, we, we were just trying to do too much stuff ourselves and we need to bring some cats in here to know about that and then just get a master on it before we take it to the club. You know, get it, get it mastered. He just kind of went through a phase where he didn't want to get stuff mastered even. Just like, a, he just thought if I just get it where it's like redlined and it's like, nah, dude, this frequency is a whole nother, it's a whole the compression and the frequency is a whole nother thing. Those cats who do that, I'm telling you, they know what they're doing. You know, when you got cats like, um, uh, Bernie Grumman and, 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 uh, all of those dudes who are like in the mastering game like that, Bob Clearwater, all them cats, they know what they're doing, bro. And, and so you got to let them handle that. They get, again, they get Grammys for that. So, uh, so we just got to let them do it, man. And just quit trying to micromanage it ourselves and, and, and just, you know, respect what, what that process is. So I'm going to take you back a fair bit now. I want to say a couple of words. Hallucination reign and the exodus has begun. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason yeah. I'm going to say that is those two songs are, and that whole album, by the way, Exodus is ridiculous, but those two songs in particular for me are bloody amazing. And I just got to give you props for being part of that whole crew and that time and that music. And I want to ask you about Hallucination Rain and or in particular, The Exodus Has Begun. What was the genesis of that? And what was it like for you, I, I guess, just being there, hearing that, playing it and being a part of that whole thing? Well, I appreciate that, man, because Hallucination Rain particularly, uh, you know, resonates with me because he kind of like let me do that one. He just kind of like, uh, what, what? let me go back to the beginning. Okay, so we're in the in the sound stage. We're rehearsing and we're just jamming and, and we were just on a break. And Michael and Sonny are just unbelievable, like playing together, man. Michael Bland and Sonny T is one of the best combinations since, you know, uh, Elton John. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, so, man, we could spend a whole show just talking about those guys. <laughs> so what they were trying to do, man, is they were trying to trick each other off the groove. Like Michael would play a little riff and Sonny, and they were just trying to see who could shake the other. And they couldn't shake each other. They would like stop and do something. And it was just crazy to even watch it. Like, like that is crazy what y'all are doing. So I'm standing there looking at them, just like marveling at the whole situation, me and Barbarella. And then uh, Prince walks in and said, what's happening? You know, kind of comes in and, you know, because we're horsing around and we just kind of like, and he walks in and sees me and he's like, what's happening? And I'm like, oh, oh, we're just, uh, my, I said, dude, we're, Mike and Sonny just over there, like, it's crazy. I'm trying to describe to him what's happening. I'm like, dude, they're like trying to trick each other, like off the beat. 
I said, did, did we should, did, I said, this, we should just be making this a record right now. And he said, he just walked to the phone right behind him. He calls in the studio. A, the, we had an engineer named Ray Hanfeld. He called Ray and he just said, Ray, uh, can you get some tape in Studio A and have Magoo and then move all the gear in the Studio A? Just like that. He said, then we will make a record. And he calls them. And then just bodies start moving. People start coming in and taking the gear down. And we're going to move it in the A. And then people start pulling up tape at the vault. Just like that. And it's like, uh, oh, okay. And he just said, well, yeah, we're just going to make a record. And we go in, set up. They get everything checked out. We cut like eight songs, like in a row, like eight where we just did, he's calling changes. We're making it up on the spot in him calling changes. Oh my God. That's what the majority of that record, Exodus, all of that stuff, uh, Billy Jack, everything, uh, Hallucination, all of it just on the spot. And then calling out who takes a solo here. And if you hear the outtakes, it's crazy. I hope one day they'll release it because it's unbelievable. Just the outtakes and, 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 and just like, and then we spent another couple of months or something with post-production because he did Cherry Cherry and Big Fun and some of the other stuff was like studio records that, that, that he programmed, him and Kirk, I believe. And so um, that ended up just being some additional stuff that got added. But most of the, 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 the live tracks all got cut in one setting. It was just all in one day. So it was bananas. And then Hallucination Rain was crazy because he just was like, yeah, Morris, you just, he said, I'm fly, I'm flowing this uh, violinist to come in. He just said, "You just record them, and you just uh, and you know color it in the you know the sound." So I used a bunch of stuff to make up the the, the spooky sounds and all of this kind of stuff. And then uh, I just recorded the violinist, and and uh, Prince said he called back in the studio, said, "You got something?" I'm like, "Yeah." Uh, he killed it. I just said, uh, "I said there's one one area where it's kind of like you know maybe you should listen because I don't know if I should re-record it." He heard. It. He said, "No, leave it, leave it like that. No, that's great." It's kind of sounded like a mistake. But he liked it. It was kind of sideways, and he, you know, anything that was sideways, he just like, oh no, that's cool. Like, leave it. That's, that's like, nee, 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 nee. it's just like he just played this one note that was like, probably like one note flat. But he dug it. He was like, no, that's cool. I like it. Just leave it. And it was like, so he just let me just put. I just put all of this little crazy stuff on it and these weird sounds, and then just and then, uh, man, it was crazy because he ruined like three really expensive microphones uh, recording that song because he wanted his guitar to sound really crazy. So what they did is they got a bucket of water and put like three of our like Neumann mics in it and like wrapped them in plastic and then put them down in this bucket and then put that bucket in front of his guitar amp. And we killed about two or three of those mics uh, recording that, man, because they get wet and then fry them. And he didn't care. It's just like it's a, it's a thing. So he's like, I don't care. But that guitar's got a real weird sound because it's playing through water in a bucket. Oh man, <laughs> that that starts to really explain things. Because when you hear that, it just sounds like something you've never heard before. That yeah, uh, the well, acoustics. That, that's why it cost a little bit extra to get that sound. And now, yeah. And now you got plugins yeah. that do. That you got plugins that'll do it in mic models. You wouldn't even have to ruin a mic to do it now. You can just run it through some plugins. But that's what made all of that great to me, man. Those kind of stories that people don't even know. That's what makes that special to me because that's what we would do. We would we would get in there. We'd experiment with things. We we would just try different things and just see what we could come up with. And that session was incredible to me, man. Because just sitting there on the spot, just like creating that and hearing his 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 dialogue, and then we laugh. We make a few jokes. And some of this stuff got left in, just left in the 
whole thing. And then he got really crazy with these segues that we were doing. <laughs> we came back one day and there was like 400 of these. That we're like, dude, he's going over the cliff with these segues, man. He just he just was having a ball. And we're like, Prince, that's enough, man. I mean, it's like, <laughs> you got like... There's more segues on that record than the songs. Than, than songs. Because he just, you know, it was his thing, his lust to be funny and, 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 and have that kind of comedy in it. And, uh, you know, even the skits that we did, man, I mean, it was hilarious, man. I mean, because that's the stuff that was fun to us, you know, to just goof off in the studio like that and just, you know, become these personalities. And, and uh, you know, I, Prince used to love me to make, uh, like, mock different people like Mark Brown. And we had a guy named Craig Rice who was Prince's manager. And Prince used to love to have me do Craig. The boys do Craig. I was like, man, Prince, I'm not doing Craig. I just, I'm just crazy. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just die laughing even when I'm just saying I'm not going to do him I do him in his voice like I'm not, but I'm not doing it Prince. I, I told you I'm not saying it I'm, don't ask me anymore and he just would die like on the spot like dude you got him down so great uh, and you know and, and he loved it so he said man we got to put that stuff on the record it's fun you know it's funny is that where kind of Brother Morris and Sister Maurice comes from, or is that a whole different oh, thing? Yeah, well, yeah, man. I, you know, I'm from a church background, so I, I used to just say all of that foolishness, man, and just say stuff that we used to say in church, and I think, you know, he didn't really have that experience like like I did, and so I just brought a lot of that to, to the band's thing, and so we just started saying a lot of that stuff, man, and it was just really funny to him because it's a whole other culture, you know, just, just coming from, from a church background and the stuff we say. Uh, you know, and if you didn't come from that, it's funny because you just go like, man, your church was crazy because you said all this stuff. It was like, it was just a different kind of a thing for him. And I think, uh, uh, and he, he liked to laugh. He liked to laugh a lot. And, and, and I just would have him in stitches, you know, because I do my imitation. He told me, he said, Morris, you're like three jokes short of a, you're having your own show, bro. He's like, you seriously got to do comedy. And I'm like, no, I'm just a fool for us. And uh <laughs> But 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 uh, that was really a big thing for him, man. He liked he he liked that, and he liked to incorporate that uh, in the records. Even when we did the like the Madhouse record, I did this uh, character that I had created called Montalbo Stewart, and uh, he just was like anywhere he could get that in, he just liked to have it in, you know. And I just do my little shtick, and he just had a great time with it. Now, where, where, where do you get a name from like that? Montalbo Stewart. What, what, <laughs> crazy. I, I just made it up on the sp- He said, we got it. Because I would be that character. And he said, dude, we got to get a name for this character you keep doing. And I said, well, what are we going to... I said, he said, what would be a good name? And I said, we got to think of something real crazy. That, like Montalbo. I said, that's... But at first I said, I said, Montalbo Johnson. He said, no, no, no. We can't use Johnson. We already got a Johnson. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said... I said, I said uh, Oh, oh, it's, he said, how about Stuart? Montable. I said, yeah, okay, Montable Stuart. I said, yeah, that rolls off the tongue nicely. So, <laughs> so, so that was it. And, I, and he said, so he said, you know, if we do a movie, you got to play this character. I said, yeah, I could wear like a, 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 a like a, a pineapple hat, you know, and a <laughs> <laughs> with a little strap on it, you know. <laughs> So we just, man, it was just hilarious, man. And we just had a lot of fun with it. But, you know, that's what that was. I've got to say, like, that 93, 94, 95 NPG, for me, was the best version of NPG. But I think one of the main reasons is what we're talking about is that that sense of humor that was just so obvious. Like, I can't think of any other band that has been with Prince where that sort of 
like camaraderie was that obvious to an audience to see. And that's one of my favorite things is just you listen back to Exodus and just the humor that is everywhere. It's just, it's the best thing. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, and and, that, and I think that's so because we, that, one thing I'll say about that band, and I mean, Prince has had many great incarnations. I think, uh, you know, he's always was about joking or not. He was always serious about musicianship. And I'm telling you, man, all of those players that came down the line were just as fierce musicians. Renato Neto was unbelievable. Cassandra, you know, uh, Blackwell, like all of those people that came through was equally smoking, you know, just doing their thing. Josh Dunham was a very solid bass player. You know, Cora was dope on some drums. You know, it was like, like all of those people. But but I think the we didn't spend as much time together as we did with that with that particular crew. We came in every day whether we was gigging or not, man. We just rehearsed. If there was no show coming up, it was just like working at McDonald's. We punched the clock, man. We just went in. And that band was super tight because we played all the time, even when we weren't on tour. And so that was more, and I think as it's time went on, Prince, you know, it became a thing like, we don't need to rehearse like that. We can go when we got something to go. We can be called a band. Cause, and everybody lived in different places. You know, so you got Ida that lived in Denmark and you got like the keyboard player lives in New York and, and, and Renato lives in Sao Paulo. So it's, it was not easy to like just corral all of those people up unless you really had something you had to go do. But all the rest of us back in that crew, we all lived in Minneapolis, man. It was like we were down the street. So it's just like, yeah, call the band over. We're going to jam. We're going to have a party. We're going to do anything, man, because we're here. And once he started getting people from all over the world and everything, it just got more difficult to like just play together and just hang out because it just was more of an expense. It was more of a, you know, a logistical nightmare to try to like corral everybody up. And you got a bunch of singers, you got a bunch of horn players, you got all of these folks. And so I just think it just got to be more of a thing to just try to corral everybody. And I think that's, you know, and of course that would cause the camaraderie to suffer if you don't you're not around people until you just need to go play and then you all disperse and go back to your wherever you came from. Just real uh, quick before before I let you go off the Exodus period, the Exodus has begun. The, the song, the 10, 11-minute yeah. epic, that's a complete mind-blowing experience listening to that yeah. even today. What what are your either memories or thoughts on that song in particular, that last track of, of the Exodus album? Well, it, it really was kind of him just talking about where things were with these record companies and 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 um uh, where we were as a band you know like it, it was a real telling part of, of of where we were in that in that time period and i think uh he really wanted to say something you know um about you know uh just how the how the game was really you know, offering us be- pennies when it's millions yeah. upon millions that they reap exactly and I think that was a that was a you know uh, one of his clarion call to like you know y'all got to know what's happening with these labels and you got to know how they're getting down and how we as artists are being you know stifled uh, by you know getting what we get and they get what they get yet they don't create anything you know it's like you have a, uh, a, 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 a this machine and you can put stuff out I remember it was crazy man because I remember one time just sitting with Prince. When he was talking to Clive Davis, and you know, Clive Davis is a, a massive cat in the game. You know, this dude is, you know, he's a big dude. And I remember Clive was like, "Well, you know, Prince, and this was a different record." Uh, he was just saying, "Well, you know, you you know, you you're not selling a lot of records." And Prince said to him, "He said, uh, so let me see if I understand this correctly. I got to make the record and sell it." He said, "What do you get a check for?" 
<laughs> so it was like pow, like sock in the nose. Because he was just like, well, Clive, what do you get a check for? I mean, <laughs> if I got to make the record and sell it, then I'm sorry. What, what, what's your role in this? Who says that? To but, like, who, who would have the balls to that? say that to Clive? <laughs> exactly. And, and I've seen Prince, not only Clive, I mean, and they all had a healthy respect for each other. I mean, he, you know, uh, but but he would talk to them like that because he's like, no, man, I'm not a I'm not a slave. You know, I, I am a musician. I'm an artist and I you know, want to be uh, treated as such. And so he would go to he would go to war with these cats, man. He'd go to bed. I sit there and watched it. And I'm just like, you know, you had that moment like watching The Godfather where he said, you can't talk to Mo Green like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, and it was like crazy. But that's what he would do. I've seen him do the same with Jimmy Iovine. I've seen him, you know, talk to Mo Austin and just on the phone. I'd be in the office. I'd be like, oh, my God, dude, you can't talk to Mo Austin. Man, I ain't scared of none of these dudes, man. <laughs> he was not afraid. You know, and I really admired that about him. I told him, I said, man, you're my hero, bro. You just go in on him. He said, well, if you ever find me floating in the river, you know who to go look for. <laughs> <laughs> and I, but I was like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but the bottom line is, man, I mean, he just was unafraid, man. And, 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 and he would talk to him. And I think a lot of them cats res- respected him. And, you know, Charlie Walk and all those cats, man. I, you know, was there when him and Charlie was talking, had dinner with us, and he just told Charlie, he says, Charlie, you just need to hand me the keys and you just step away. They just give me the keys and you just step away. And, it, you know, he was, you know, that's what he's telling this dude. This dude put, you know, Lady Gaga on. I, I remember, you know what I'm saying? So, so he just didn't care, man. He just would say his piece. And, and you had to walk away shaking your head sometimes. Charlie was like, man, what? I want to work with a man, and it's like, you know, I'm like, bro, I don't know what to tell you, man. I mean, that's Prince. That's just what he is, uh, you know. Just on that, do you think that was ever a detriment in that he may have burned some bridges that was potentially negative in the long run? Or Well, I mean, the thing is, he's, he's, he's a testament to what happens. You know, Prince stayed relevant uh, as far as I'm concerned throughout his career. I mean, yeah, he had higher points where he was selling more stuff, but anytime you talk about the game and you talk about the people that's running it in a not so precious way is, you know, you know, it's like Donald Trump. You don't really like to hear people like say you didn't do a great job. I mean, these people didn't like to be told that, you know, you're not so great. And so, yeah, you know, you'll get a situation where when you say, I don't care about the awards. And we had a song called uh, Same December, and it basically talks about that, whereas it's like, you know, you get as long as you're getting the shiny awards, everybody plays ball. It's like when you get to a point where you don't care about that stuff and you start seeing what's really going on, it's just like something to pacify you. And he wasn't into that. He just was like, what you know, what's just about the situation and start looking at what happens. And I know that when George Michael was going through his thing, you know, Prince was in solidarity with him. You know, we did a thing. He said, peace to George Michael. You know, and anybody who was fighting the establishment in terms of getting what was rightfully theirs because they're the people that's creating this art. And so they should have the lion's share of their own creation. That's all it is. Mm, you know that's what? right. That's, that's what he was about. And, and if you don't like it, then tough. And, and he's, because at the end of the day, Prince knew that if he didn't sell 15 records, if he says, I'm going to play on tour, then guess what? It's going to sell out. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to go get his money. He's going to do what, the, what he loves to do is play anyway. Records just became a calling card. It's like, okay, we'll put a record out, you know, but we make our money. We're going to go and get on the road, man. We're going to get on the stage, take it to the stage. And that dude could do that at a heartbeat. I never seen anybody could just sell out a stadium in two weeks, you know, notice. Like, I'm going to announce it a week or two, and then next thing you know, we're in Paris, uh, you know, doing a stadium. 
I mean, that's crazy. And no one does that. Nobody does that, man. I mean, it's, you know, just like, you know, everybody like Sade goes out and she sell out like a mug, but she's like give people a year head, like a year heads up. You got time to grow a babysitter by the time that show comes around. <laughs> you know, so it's like, so it's like, you know, he would do that at a short notice, man, just because he could. And, you know, 21 nights at the, at the O2, I mean, come on, man, that's half a million people came through. That's bananas. And that was only announced in like a few months before as well, if I remember. Yeah, it wasn't a long span of time. You know, it was a great price point and and it just shows the power of it. You know, and I think he got that idea, man, when we were doing the Vegas uh, stint. And he was like, man, I like this, man. I got a nice, he said, you know, look at our rooms, Morris. We got a nice place to stay. And, you know, whenever he was like getting it tricky, he would get that voice, you know. Yeah, 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 look here, Morris, we got, he said, and he told me, you should bring your car out here, because he had his Bentley out, and I had a little convertible Lexus thing, he said, you should bring your car out, we just, we just gonna be Vegas cats, and I said, okay, and I had my car shipped out, and we was just chilling, man, and he was like, see, look how nice this is, we just out of here, just, we just play every few days, and then we take off and go to the club, and just nice, huh, just nice. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is cool. He said, see, we can do this everywhere. We just set up shop. We can go to England, set up shop there for a few months. We can go to Brazil, set up shop down there. Yeah, yeah, over there. <laughs> you know, and it was cool. And he's like, and that's really what started that whole residency type of vibe. Mm. Uh, I want to change um, script a bit. We were talking about the MPG albums. I want to talk about the next one, which was the New Power Soul album. And you're credited as the keyboardist background vocalist and the album is credited to the, the new power generation but i want to know like how much of that album is basically just a solo prince album versus a band album like did you have much involvement in in the creation of those those mpg albums it was it was definitely more prince in that of course we did some of the stuff in the studio but it, it wasn't it wasn't recorded the same way as we did exodus and um but it was definitely more of a, of a you know kind of a production record where it was like in the studio we'd have the sessions we'd go and play on stuff or program on stuff and overdubs and things like that it just wasn't a lot of the whole uh live play because the, the exodus band was just gut bucket we're gonna make it up and we're gonna do it on the spot thank you good night and we did other stuff that was like that uh, that that wasn't on any organized like record. I mean, it ended up getting put on like these records that came out over the like the NPG store and stuff like this, like uh, um, you know Calhoun Square and just some of the other songs like that. That was all stuff done kind of like in that era too that we recorded and you know Strays of the World, which I you know I loved. It was such a hard song for me to learn, and when I got it, it was like this. I just just I felt like a million dollars. Like I finally get to play one of these hard Prince songs. That's hard to play. That, you know, when I used to listen to him to try to figure out what he was doing, you know, we did one of those. And so I had to really work to, you know, to kind of get that stuff. And so there was a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in the vault like that that we did from different eras that's just in there. Uh, and, and one of the records he let me co-produce, the, the, one of the last things I did was uh, Welcome to America. It's an actual record. And uh, he, I saw that he had released some of the stuff after I was gone. I, I didn't really keep up with a lot of what was going on at Paisley Park. You kind of like, especially me, having to be in there for close to 20 years. I just was like, I'm good. I'm just gonna go and you know do whatever else I'm gonna do. And I didn't really follow a lot of what was happening, but I was told like uh, some of the rec some of the stuff that I did with him on that record had uh, get released. Uh, same page, different book. Uh, some of that stuff. So, but I, I really there's a song on there called I hope it sees the light of day, called um, Born to Die. 
and I, I never got accolades like what he gave me for that. I mean, this dude turned me loose, man. He gave me the CD. We sat out in the car and listened to everything. And then he said, yeah, man. And he just go by every song. He said, Born to Die was a song that um, he said he was watching. Um, uh, he's really good friends with uh, Dr. Cornell West. And he said, I was watching Dr. Cornell, man, on, on, on YouTube uh, from a while back, long time ago. And he said he was talking about how you know, Curtis Mayfield was this, you know, this poet and this thing. He said, you know, I love Brother Prince, but he's not Curtis Mayfield or something like this. And Prince was like, oh, really? So he went and did that track. And I heard it and I said, and I told him, I said, oh, I said, bro, I know right where you're living with that. I said, I got you. I know what to do. And I came back in with this mix where I just did this horn arrangement, like with keys. And man, this dude, I, I mean, Prince is real cool about like heavy accolades. He don't really do it. He's not into like, oh my God, Morris, that was so great. He's just like, it's cool. He's real cool with it. And you just think, oh, wow, it sucked. And you know, the fact that he used it meant it's okay. But he just really went on about like, dude, you're like Duke Ellington, man. Pat me on the back and just like shaking me. Oh, wow. I mean, it was crazy. Like, I just was like, whoa, this is crazy. He's like, Morris, that's, he's like, that's perfect, man. And it was one that, it was called When She Comes. I said, I, Prince, I'm not even going to touch it. That's a Claire Fisher thing. You should let Claire do it. I don't even want to ruin it. I said, it's so good. It's just it's over my pay grade, man. I, I'm going to just defer to Claire on this one. It's so great. I said, they're going to kick you out of the, the witness program uh, over this song. I said, you know that. You know that. <laughs> I, and he said, <laughs> but I said, man, it's epic. I said, but that, that's a Claire Fisher joint. If I ever heard one, I said, you got to let him do that one, man. Okay, my go. It seems that like early on, like the early NPG is like 93, 94. It seemed like Tommy Barbarella used to get a lot of the solos and you got you got stuck with the chords and starting samples all over the place. Mm -hmm. As a musician, were you like, man, I just don't want to be triggering samples all day long. I'll, give me a solo. Let me play. You, you, let me, let me, here's another key to my longevity, brother, is I knew my place yeah. in the room. You know, Tommy was great yeah. for that. He had that background. Bro, I, I, I don't really have, I don't have any like really a, a musical background to speak of. I just play what I heard. I'm not Herbie and, and Chick Corea and none of them cats. I can, you know, I can get in a little bit here and there. But what I was, is, uh, I was in the orchestration. I was in the parts. And what, you know, that was my, you know, I look at it like the Justice League, man. It's like you got cats that all got superpowers of, of, of a different uh, level and a different thing that theirs got special. You put it all together, you got this team of that's like marauders, that's just like crazy. Because everybody's got it. you know, Chicago, he would always say this to us. He said, look at Chicago, man. Chicago Bulls when Michael Jordan was there. He said, and they didn't get championships until they started playing like a team. Michael Jordan could make 60 points in a game and still lose the game. Because he could in the NBA, there's too many players on the team that's good. One dude can't win a championship. You got to have a team. So once you got a dude that can get rebounds, you got somebody that can shoot the three, you got a guy that can like, you know, do steal the ball, then you got a team. And I just knew what my place was, man. I had a I had a good thing that I could do with technology. Everybody got a spot. And I didn't get to, you know, feel like, oh man, I don't never get a solo, man. I am like, dude, I'm on a winning team. I got cats who can cover the base. I do what I do. He give me a moment to shine, you know, give me a minute to do. I don't care about that. The pay was the same. You know, I, I was with some dudes I loved to be around. I learned a lot. It was great for me, man. I had no ego to feed. None of that other stuff that people get jacked up over because that was a good way to get out of a job. I like working. You know what I mean? I like just 
just being with some cats and just had, I, man, I was getting paid crazy money to do something I loved. Well, I'm going to get in and just jack it up because I want to, you know, get the big hit. I, I was cool with it. You know what I'm saying? And as I got better, then he let me stretch out. You know, he let me get a piece here and there. You know, but but that's what my forte was. And, and I just, I, I, I was cool working with, you know, Cassandra Kane, another just incredible, you know, piano player, organ player. You know, and she could solo. She could do stuff, man. I didn't never get twisted like that. Because, like I said, I was grateful. I mean, I, I knew so many dope cats that was dying to get a gig like mine that could eat my lunch, man. That could kill me on any good day that I had. And they, I kept the gig. I even went to Prince one time because Greg Gaines, who was one of my heroes, called me. and was like, Morris, man. I was, you know, he was at the show we did in L.A. at the Glam Slam. And he was like, dude, I want, he said, I didn't play with everybody. Michael Jackson urged everybody. He said, I want to play with you guys. The only guy he said I had never worked with was Prince. And, you know, he's my hero, man. I've been knowing this dude before I could even pronounce his name. I'm, like, reading his name in credits when I'm, like, down here and he's playing them Steely Dan and everybody. And when I finally met him, I'm like, man, it's Greg Fogangi Gigason. And, and and it was, like, it's amazing. And he, Prince was, and then I'm, he called me and said, man, I'm going to play. And I'm with the Prince, like, Prince, Prince, man, Greg Fogangi he called me, man, he want to be in the band. And he's like, so? <laughs> and I'm like, but it, but it's Greg Fogangi. And he's like, but I got you. And I'm like, yeah, but I ain't Greg Filling Games. It's Greg Filling Games. He's like, so? <laughs> and I was just like, I was tripping because I was like, this this would be epic because that dude is one of the baddest cats in the game. He's like, man, I like my own crew. I got you. Yeah. I like yeah. you. You know, and, 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 and it was really, that was crazy for me because I just thought he would have been like, oh, really? Oh, well, we got to get that dude. He's bad, man. But, you know, it's like a lot of times with cats like that, they're gunslingers and, and you know, they're, they're like musicians for hire a lot of times. They go to whoever's got money. Not to say that that's Greg's thing, because, I mean, Greg is just like a dope cat, man, and he's just cool. But a lot of times you've got guys who go going from one gig to the other who's paying the, the top dollar and they go to wherever they go. He liked having cats that was his own crew. These are my friends. Aside from being in the band, we would hang and we'd kick it. So it was a different whole scenario, man. And so he was just more into that vibe than whoever you happen to be. If you was like, you know, a dope cat on, he said, okay, so what? I got a team. He's like, I like my team. And that's what, and so I, I kind of learned that at that spot, that, that that's how he gets down. And, and that was cool with me because that otherwise it could have been Barbarella and Greg feeling games instead of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If he really wanted to make it crazy, then that's what he probably would have done. But so I had to be grateful that he just decided to keep me on, man. And I mean, for whatever reason, man, I never was um, that cat. And I and even and I used to tell him, even if I'm not there, man, it always, I said, if you win, music wins, brother. So whether I'm there or not, I always want to see you do well, man, because when Prince wins, music wins, because he was one of the few cats outside of the rock and roll world that, you know, still played and still did it like he did it. You know, everybody started going to Pro Tools and different things to do their shows and everything. Rock and roll world, play. They just go get it. You know, you ain't never see Bruce Springsteen running the, you know, Pro Tools to the thing, singing. He'd go get it. And that's how Prince was, man. And, and rockers do that. That's why I love rock and roll so much, man, because they, that's how they get down. That's just that's the normal way you do it. And so, uh, uh, so yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm just grateful that I was able to just be able to not be the greatest but still have a, have a place in what, what, what hopefully will be a legendary band. You know, who knows? Uh, that band could end up being a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one of these days because it was certainly that kind of quality. I had Steven Tyler tell me oh, yeah. 
Michael Bland, he said, man, that's the baddest dude in the game. He said, I work out to that dude. That's Steve Tyler, man. And I was like, that's bananas. I got that on home video. <laughs> so, so, you know what I'm saying? So that was a that was a top shelf band. It's still one of the bands that all the fans, when they see me, they say, man, 94, 93, 94, 95, that was my band. You know, they say it, man. And Funkiest band in the land. That's that's you know? that's very true. Yeah, so that's a lot of times what happens. But I'm, I'm, like I said, I was fortunate to, to span the, the, the groups. Uh, I, I managed to hang and, you know, for, for a good portion of that until third eye girl came around and so and I, and I love all them cats man I just I'm grateful of being able to play with all of them well Morris you, you probably you can probably tell we, we're absolutely in love with that version of the MPG I mean we love all incarnations of the MPG but especially that 93 96 period yeah. is just uh, just remarkable and the other thing is I, I know you're talking about other keyboard players and Greg feeling gains is that of the Herbie but you know what if those guys were on those records they those records wouldn't sound like the way they do and they sound no. so unique and so just you put you put like the gold experience on or emancipation or whatever it is but especially like something like the gold experience and it's it's remarkable how you guys fit like a glove everything just comes yeah. together and it, and the sound is I have to say the sound is huge. It is, man. Tom Tucker. Tom Tucker was just a, 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 an amazing engineer. I, I really love what Tom did the drums. He, you know, it took a, lo a long time for us to set up really a lot of times because he him tuning the drums and but Michael's drums sound like thunder on that stuff, man. Like gold experience. He just oh, yeah. it's just crazy, man. It's just the sound is amazing. And uh, you know Ricky Peterson and all of them that helped with 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 those records and stuff. These guys are severe, man. I mean, and 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 so I love sonically. I love those records. I love musically. You know, uh, I hate you. Uh, you know, Prince just oh, gave man. me a little latitude to just kind of like my organ chords. He just a little sideways. He liked that. And and you know, even on the first Prince record that I played on, which which was a the Come record, uh, Dark was just like me kind of like doing my church thing, and he just kind of like shaped the horns around some of my lines like uh the, you know some of the uh the uh ascending lines that i would do he had made the horns match all of that stuff because he just liked that feel and so i just like the fact that you know he just let us kind of do and he he told me one time he said the reason why i change bands so often he says because the sound changes with the band and i like fresh i like you know to to, to get things uh because all of those personalities come in and it changes the sound on the music and so um, that's why I'm like, like I said, I think about it sometimes and I just, I just go like, wow, man, I can't believe that I managed to, to, to span so many different units and, uh, and still, you know, maintain a piece in it. And it's just, for me, bro, um, you know, again, with my skill sets, it's just a, it's a gift from God. It's just like for me to just being able to do that. And I'm grateful. I don't, I don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I just like go, Hey, <laughs> I'm grateful for the ride. I'm glad that I got a chance to work with the top shelf people that I did, man. So it, it was real cool. But that was really magical to me. It was a lot of magical stuff. And like I said, we played a lot and we bonded. And I think that's what makes a band. And now it's different because everything is, you know, is economics. You know, people don't have money to like have people hang on. I just rehearse when there's no show. Just pay people to come to rehearsal. And, and, you know, they're not going to do that now, man, you know, and, and, and a lot of musicians, we priced ourselves out of the game, you know, it's like, uh, you know, in terms of either we accept little punk wages or we've taken so much big money that nobody can hire us. So it's, 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 you know, like producers kind of priced themselves out of the production game, you know, producers used to get a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand dollars a track. 
You can't get anywhere close to that nowadays. No way. They got kids making hits on their computers in their bedroom. Not gonna pay you know hundred thousand dollars for a track nowadays. And it's like if everybody wasn't charging probably back then and made it reasonable, it's just like everything's a pendulum. You either go from too much to too little, and there's nothing in between. And so uh, you know you don't have bands now that you can't afford to like have them rehearse for you know every day and then you know be that tight. Uh, and, you know, but you know, but some of these players now, man, they're so dope. They can still come in and do some amazing stuff. But a lot of this stuff is track generated. You know, they have tracks and stuff. And I, and I mean, I understand it. I mean, I get it because it's economics. You, you know, the artists get more money in their pockets, and, and you know, because everything is so much expensive. Look how much tickets prices are to come to stuff, man. When I hear about how much it is to go to Bruno Mars or some of these shows, this is like two hundred dollars or something like crazy. And even Prince, like you know, at the end, it was like some of his shows got to be up there. I mean, like in the in the in the in the VIP seats. I mean, but it was it was you know that's just a sign of the times. Everything is just getting more expensive. So along with you being an outstanding player, one of your chief responsibilities was triggering the samples. My question is: Is the abandoned seven disc sampler set? Do you know why? that never got released and what was it like having access to all the isolated tracks of prince's music at your disposal like were you given free access to the vault to obtain samples for tours yes and and i'm the one that killed it (laughs) yeah once again uh once again uh we went i had i had exclusive uh, you know access to the vault to get all of the stuff but i i kind of was you know was talking to prince i said with prince I said, because I knew the sampling, I used a lot of those, like the stuff on the records. I bought sample CDs all the time. This what I did, you know, because I had a sampler that I could load all of that stuff into. So I'd go and buy like tons of these things. And like, uh, like on songs like Endorphin Machine and stuff like that. I had like Steve Stevens guitar samples and stuff that I, that I had and, and it just used some of that stuff in spots. The reason why I'm saying is because we used a lot of that kind of stuff and, 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 and so I got it. So I was like, okay, if you want to, like, you can make a sample CD, but I was kind of like, but you're kind of going to devalue your catalog. If you, like, go and get everything that's, like, Kiss and, like, all of the stuff, I said, Prince, well, number one, Warner Brothers is going to have a problem with this because it's it's a licensing thing, and you're going to, if you make it to where you can just buy this and use it on this thing, it's it's, it's going to kind of take away. And I, I remember Londell McMillan was the lawyer at the time, and I said, Londell, I don't know if this is a great idea. Because we're taking stuff, and once I mean, once it gets used, I mean, like on these records, I mean, these are highly known songs. I, I don't know how P. Diddy's is going to take, you know, when Dubs cry loop, and then somebody else grabs it, it's going to be like, I mean, who is a race to whoever gets it first, and then you know how are you going to use it? It's just like it's just going to be kind of crazy, and it just seems like to me, if it's not going to be new content, you're going to devalue. Uh, the, you know, to ask when people come to try to get, because Prince was real tight about where his music went, like. He wouldn't hardly let them use it in movies and like all kinds of like just barely stuff would get out like the pretty woman I think they use Kiss like her singing Kiss I mean it was like he was real tight with that and now everybody's gonna have access to everything and so I was like I, I said Londell dude I don't know man <laughs> I said I'll do it because he wants me to do it he asked me to do it I went and did the samples I have it to this day I have all of that stuff. And it's just like, you know, it's like, you know, he, he had me trusted to keep it. And so, but I told him, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is a good idea to put it out. It's all What's your it fault, like? Morris. It's all my fault. 
What's it like to get all those samples and listen to the isolated tracks? Is it? It was. It was. That was one of the best parts of my job. It was like I got the chance to put the tapes up and isolate tracks and just listen to just the bass or just the guitar. And it was like, I remember Levi telling me one time, he said, Morris, if you want you to, to like throw up your lunch meat, just go get Alphabet Street, put it up and put bass, drums, and guitar on. Just mute everything else and just put that on and you'll throw up. And, and I did. I went, and you just lay your head on the, on the table because you can't even understand it. It's just, a, it's, it's, it don't even make sense. And some of the stuff, it's so low in the mix, you don't even hear it. So when you isolate it, it's like, oh my God, I didn't even know he was playing this. And it's just buried in the track, so you just feel it, but you don't really hear it. And it's just like, oh my God, dude. And if and I got some of those samples, so what happens is, if you don't hear it in context, you don't even know what it's from. It don't even sound like anything. It's just like independent of the, of the song because you don't really hear it that way. Because it's like, and then he'll do notes that's like right next to the other note that's rubbing the other note. And then it just would just would be a rub <laughs> and and out of context you would be like it's wrong until you hear in context it's just like it's crazy hey morris if you don't mind just bring that stuff down with you when you come to sydney uh you know we'll just we'll have a great time yeah bring a few copies of this <laughs> so it's, it's it's bananas man i mean a lot of that stuff um it, it just was incredible it, it was incredible there's another uh, memory we we're wondering about, and I think you've mentioned this at uh, at some point potentially about the D'Angelo and Questlove jam session where they came to Paisley Park, and it was just you. Uh, I think it was you, Prince. Was it Kirk, and then D'Angelo and yeah. Quest? Yep, that's it. I can't even imagine what that room felt like at the time. There's like, so many oh, like great musicians and egos in that <laughs> small space. <laughs> what was that like? It was it was bananas, man. I mean, it was really, really cool because I mean, dude, they came and played their show. They was already they were had to go to another location. But, you know, Prince, you know, it was like the the Queen profan uh, uh command performance. Uh, he asked them to come and they's like, okay, we'll deviate and go down here and then keep heading on to Wisconsin or wherever they were going. And they stopped by a man and they came out and you know they went in the studio and he played them some stuff and then you know we went to to the, to the back room where we were set up and we just jammed you know quest on the drums or kirk on the drums whatever it was at the time and d'angelo playing keys and prince playing bass or guitar whatever he was playing on and um and i'd play whatever i was you know i'd fill in whatever was missing and it was it bro we played uh like i say we played a uh, question of you and uh D'Angelo played that Joker just like the record. I mean, like he had been waiting to play that song all of his life. I'm telling you, he nailed it like lick for lick until Prince came over to me while, <laughs> and just standing in front of me looking like, uh, Morris, uh, do you play it like the record? I, I think he just played it exactly like it is on the record. Do you play it like it is on the record? And I was like, wow, that was that was amazing. And he just looked at you all sideways like, you know, it's a shame to get whooped at your own house. <laughs> you know, and he killed it. I'm like, uh, thanks, D'Angelo. That was great. Uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Hey, bro. He 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 murderized it. it. It's like he played every note, and it was like unbelievable. And it, just one of those great experiences, man. It just like you know, among many, that was happening, and it just was incredible, man. I just loved it. I'm imagining Questlove's probably laughing the entire time while he's like just watching all this stuff go down, right? Oh, oh yeah. Like, I mean, he was playing. You know, he was playing. But I mean, uh -huh. it was like, yeah, dude, it was, it was, it was epic, man. It just like for me, I just have a few like Hollywood 
legendary music moments where it's like Woody Harrelson and you know like Rob Wood from the Rolling Stones. I just got a few of those moments where I, where I just have to pinch myself and say, man, this is rock and roll. I'm in. I'm in the big leagues. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like kind of crazy, kind of like surreal in a, in a moment because I never. I always kept my my naivete about all of this stuff. I never let it get to my head that I'm like, you know, I'm Mr. Man. You know, I'm in the game like that. I always was kind of like standing on the outside, looking into like this this marvelous career and this marvelous kind of a situation where I can be with some of the people that I've admired for years and just be like one of the cats. And, you know, I just had to step outside of that. I remember being in Monaco, man, talking with Prince Albert uh, after we did our show there in Monaco at the uh, Opera House. And uh, just talking to Prince Albert about the history of the place and how his great-grandfather and them were building it and all of this stuff. And then I just like had a moment where I was like, man, Prince Albert, Elton John, like, like, uh, I mean, like Lionel Richie, like, just, I'm like, dude, this is crazy right here. You know, I'm, just, I'm sitting chewing the fat with, with, with Prince Albert, like, he, like I'm one of the cats, you know what I'm saying? It was like, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, you're talking and then you had a, that, that Geritol moment where you're like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> holy smokes. You know, it was crazy, you know, but I always was, you know, again, it was just you know, one of the things where I'm always grateful to, you know, to be a fly on the wall and just kind of like see it. And I remember I had this ear cuff that I had and Ron was, Ron's daughter was checking it out. And I, and I, and I, and I, she's like, that's amazing. What is that? And I said, it's a little ear cuff. And I gave it to her and then Ron, and I, and I said, and she was like, oh my God, it's amazing. And I said, you can have it. And I'm like, Ron was like, it's very cool. It's very cool. And I was like, yeah, that's that's a, that's a Rolling Stone right there, man. And you know, Paul McCartney come over and ask about, you know, Paul came over to us and um, and when we were at Clive Davis's party, one of the Grammy parties he had, and and he asked us about, um, asked Prince about a song we did, a Long and Winding Road that that we did a few times with Elton, and um, he said, Prince, I understand you're doing one of my songs, uh, the Long and Winding Road, and he said, I'd like to get a copy. And uh, Prince was like, yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, I can get, uh, we can send you that and everything. He, like, got his hand on our shoulders and stuff. I'm like, that's a beetle right there. That's a hand, a beetle, hand from the beetle right there. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy because that's, that's like culture. That's like Paul McCartney asking Prince about a song we're doing with Elton John. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that's insane. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like that, you know. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. So that was that was really cool, man. And I mean, this is it's like it's, uh, my whole career has like been splattered with like uh, s different scenarios like that, where it's Tom Cruise or somebody like that, man. And they just they like big fans. I mean, because even those people have people that they like, and everybody loved Prince, man. That was a cool thing. Prince was a star, star, you know. And so even even the ones that was cool act the fool when Prince was doing his thing, you know. Yeah. That was that was always heavy to me to just see people react like you know princess diana or anybody like that somebody that's like reacting to something like he's like dang dude that's princess diana dude you know it's crazy and like they just forget they who they are and just groove you know what i'm saying and just that was the power that he had man that that that, that he can move people like that and only it didn't matter what walk of life you were in how big you were when prince got on he was a star star man and that's what's what i loved about him that's what i respected about him and then that's when I would really get fooled sometimes. I'd be sitting behind him, and I'd like, for many times that I was on the other side of the situation, standing in the crowd, and then I'd just be sitting behind so many classic hits and, 
and so much stuff and you just say, man, this is crazy. This is a hell of a ride, man. It's crazy. You know, I'll never shake that, man. I'll never be a calm moment thinking about that kind of stuff because that is just beyond uh, reality, man. It's crazy. Talking of like um, stars, can you tell us the difference between working with someone like Prince versus, say, another funk legend like Maceo Parker? And um, also, were you, were you ever in George Clinton's band uh, officially? Not officially. I, I played with George. Yeah. Well, we did the thing in the movie, of course. And, and but then I just yeah. jammed with uh, George. Had a concert at uh, at the Glam Slam, and where he had uh, it was crazy because he didn't have his normal horn section. It was at Atlanta Bliss and uh, Eric Leeds, and that's why it was bananas because them two dudes. You think, oh, he don't have a whole section. This is gonna be weird. No, no, no. He Eric Leeds rearranged that stuff to, with the two players. It was unfreaking believable, man. Eric Leeds is severe. Make no mistake yeah. about it. He's one of the baddest dudes ever done the gig, you know. And um, so, so I just jammed with uh, with George and them for a few songs, and you know he had Amp Fiddler, I think, and some other cats that was there. But I just only just you know was there long enough to just hit a few things with George, and you know that's how George is. He got forty people on stage, so it's just like everybody get their piece in, you know. So, so uh, it was just like that kind of a vibe. But I never was with him. But Maceo Parker, yes. And I tell you what I love about Maceo, man. Uh, I, I I just love Maceo to to pieces because he's just one of the most coolest cats you know prince was intense man you get an ulcer like dealing with prince man it was just like set some days was just hard man and it was just like oh my god i could see his car in my stomach would get upset you know what i'm saying and i would be like oh my god he's here he's here jesus and i'd be like oh no what is he gonna do today maceo was always the same man just a happy guy and i think it's because and i, I saw a lot of myself in maceo because you know, Maceo worked for a lot of years for James Brown, which, you know, there's a lot of similarities between James and Prince. You know, Prince studied a lot of James, and I, and I, I could see a lot of the similarities. And, and um, you know, Maceo is, I, I think you become one or two type of people, especially when you've been, like, pounded. And, you know, you've been, you can either pound the next person just because that's what I got, or you can say the buck stops with me. I'm going to run things differently. Maceo took that route. He runs things differently. He's a band leader, band leader. Because this dude is that he stays where we stay. He, you know, he don't never get bent. If there's something wrong, he's always cool in the pocket. He don't get mad. He just fixed the situation, and it's just always happy and he's just always cool, and he's just always positive. You know, it just was always a positive thing being around him. And I think it's because that's the vibe that he carried. That's what he liked to do, and that's what he kind of like had it with us as the band. So it was the most trouble-free gig I think I've ever done in my life. Where just like you just show up and have a good, it just was no stress, none. You know what I'm saying? Have a funky good time, right? Funky good time, and and just just the stories, man, and just a, just a consummate professional, man. Was serious about his music. You know, he can do it, but just a fun guy, man. And just he loved to laugh. You know, uh, you know, just just that kind of thing, man. And I, and it was a great you know, little stint I went off to do with Maceo during the course of when Maceo was kind of coming in, not playing with the musicology group and everything. That's the kind of time where I had kind of went with Mason. You know, we did a few of the shows with Prince and everything, but it was great for me, man. It's just like I needed that at that point and to just kind of like re-energize, man, and just feel what it was like to go do something that was just fun, just pure fun. And, and, and what was the other cool thing was about it, Maceo went to all the places that Prince didn't go. So all of like really dope places around the world, like Antibes and, 
you know, the south of France and Italy and all these other places that we never were like the Eastern European countries, like Lithuania and, you know, all these other places that Prince never went to, man. I got to see all the rest of the world through Maceo. And he's still touring like, uh, like I think he's got to be like in his 70s now and he's still like just everywhere. Like he's everywhere. And he will be. And that's what I love about him. That's, that's the school he's from, man. He's from old school. They go get it. And that dude works six nights a week sometimes. The only day off you have is a bus ride to the next gig. <laughs> that's how he get down, man. And, and he's in shape. He walks the halls like two miles every day. I just would run into Mason the hallway. Where you going, man? It's walking the hall, Mars the Bars. <laughs> Call me Morris to Boris, you know, but but um, he he was uh, he's he's amazing, man. I mean, and he's just. I remember talking to him one time. I said, Macy, oh man, how did you get going, man? How did you become this thing, man? You I mean you're one of the most noted sax players in the history of sax? And he said, Well, you know, Morris. He said, When I was coming up, everybody wanted to be Bird. And he said, You know, and there was a lot of cats doing Bird better than me. And he said, um, He said, So I just. I just figured I'd say I want people to remember me, man. And I just figured I just gotta find a thing and find a lane of my own. And Prince would tell you in a New York minute. He said Maceo will kill you with three notes while you trying to play 400 notes. He said Maceo got three notes that'll burn up any sax player that he can find. He'll kill you with three notes. He said Maceo will kill you with three notes. That's all he gotta do. <laughs> and he just said you dead. There's nothing you can do with that. He just say that. And, and Maceo could, that's what he do, but he can go get a lot of stuff, man. And for me to have worked on a record with Mace, it was a dream, man. I mean, I, man, dude, you can put me in the dirt. I'm cool. That's, that's, a, that's a legend. And just to have to do it, did it and, um, and have him call me to do that, man. It was just, again, another one of the extraordinary blessings that I was just glad to do. His whole crew, man, I made some friends for life, Skeet Curtis, Bruno, and all them cats, man. Miss, Miss Martha High, who was with James, for many, many years, man, that was all my road dogs, man. And I just, uh, they were like family, man. We just, just a family unit. And, um, you know, so it was, I just, man, I just got mad love for Mace. And every time we see each other, man, it's always a big hug, man. And just, just, you know, and I would have them dying laughing too, man. So Mace will see me and just start laughing. You know, I don't even have to say nothing, man, because he just know I got something crazy to say. And, and you know, that's just that's, that's cool, man. I wonder if um, Maceo was with James for a long time and then he was with Prince for a while. I wonder if what he thought of, you know, the similarities between Prince and James as a band leader since Prince did a lot of the stuff James did. I wonder yeah, what he we, thought of that. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, man, I, I mean, Mace told me some stories about James. I mean, I loosely put Prince and James. I mean, there, there was a lot of similarities because, you know, James ran a, a tight outfit because he was very stringent. Like, he would find people and Prince would find people. <laughs> you know, he would, like, dock people's pay and that sort of thing. I mean, Prince got a lot of that kind of stuff from James. But, you know, uh, I, I think Prince wasn't quite as, as rough as, as James was I mean, in terms of, you know, like, really some of the stuff that, you know, he would do. And I think that's where the line was kind of, like, varied a little bit differently. Is that uh, you know from what some of the stuff I've heard, and even what I saw in the movie that they put out, James could be a little cruel at times, and I never really knew Prince to be like cruel, and it just like, you know, just, just that heavy-handed. I mean, and I think, um, you know, Prince was a bit different in that regard. I mean, and just, just he was a perfectionist, but you know, I don't think he was anything that like that harsh. So I think that's the difference. Uh, if if I had to just think of like what I like I said, what I saw in the movie and just the documentaries and some of the things I've seen and heard about James, I just think that's you know Prince wasn't quite that severe. You know, it was a little bit looser, I guess. 
you know and I, like but they yeah. did things different back in the day man it was a hard kind of time and you had to be like you know james was like super bad and he had to be like real stringent on cats and so it was just that kind of a deal man talking about getting docked do you remember the most you got docked and what did you do what what was it that that got that well we 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 had a big fight about it because i got docked this one time like 500 dollars because uh, and it wasn't my fault and i wasn't going to take it because if it's not my fault you know, that's like going to jail for something i didn't a crime i didn't commit so uh i remember we were playing at the excel center in st paul and and press would do some crazy stuff like for instance you know he was late this day and we did the sound check everything was dope everything's cool he was late so we, we we got the stuff going he came in and looked at the stage he walks in like like an hour before doors or something like this we run through some stuff he decides after we like we got like a half hour before doors he said the stage is off center it needs to move over five feet they're like what <laughs> everything on the stage needs to move over five feet is off center and they're like Dude, we got half an hour before doors. We gotta like take all the gear loose and then rehook it up. I mean, that's he said, move the stage. <laughs> so in a crazy haste, everybody goes, oh my god. So they take the stage, they take loose my keyboard stuff, and in haste, my keyboard tech, I had a mixer that was very complicated because I had vocal samples running down a line, I had keys running down certain lines. When he moved the rack, he plugged everything one slot over, which caused everything to go down the wrong channels. So sound check, everything was cool. We come back to the show. I'm hitting vocal samples. I'm hitting stuff. Nothing is happening. And I'm like, what? And Prince is looking at me like, dude. And I'm like, I'm playing. I'm playing. Like, like I don't like. And finally, I'm, you know, I get my keyboard tech's attention. I'm like, bro, what's happening? Like, I'm playing stuff, and I don't hear anything coming down channels. And he's like, well, it's hooked up. I'm like, well, go, something's not right. And Prince is giving me the eye of daggers. And so um, he goes over, and he comes over after the show, and he's like, I mean, he fixes it. He goes, yeah, man, I'm sorry. Uh, when we moved the stage, I was in such a hurry, I put everything over, like, a, a couple channels. And so nothing was coming down the right channels. And I was like, well, you're going to eat this one. Because I'm, cause I'm going to have the, the meeting after the show, the, the, the dreaded go to the office meeting, and Prince is going to ask what happened. And so it's, it's going to be like, well, my tech. And so, sure enough, uh, I get my check, and it's $500 <laughs> missing. And so I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. So I go to Paisley, and I said, hey, bro. And he said, uh, I thought I would be seeing you. I said, yes, sir, you sure will. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so he said, and I said, well, look, Prince, I said, that's not my fault, bro. I, you know, we we had the sound check. Everything was cool in sound check. I left and everything was cool. I come back. It's all crazy. And I said, I talked to my tech and, 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 and I said, he plugged everything over. And he says, well, Morris, no fruit bared. Uh, that doesn't mean anything. It's your station. I didn't get any sound. I put my hands out like Dinah Ross and no sound came out. So that's on you. And I said, well, I'm not paying for that, bro. I just said, uh, and he, and he said, well, no fruit bad. I'm, I don't care. He's just like tough. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not eating this one, man. I said, here's what I'm gonna do. And my keyboard tech was about six foot ten, big old dude. And I told him, I said, this is what I'm gonna do, Prince. I said, I'm gonna go back to Eric, 
and I'm going to tell him he's got to give me the money. All I know is I'm not eating $500 for something that wasn't my fault. So I said, if he don't give me the money, I'll be back to see you. <laughs> so he said, I don't care. And so he said, you go see him and y'all work it out. And I did. I went to Eric and I said, hey, man, I just came from Prince. He docked me $500. i am docking you the $500. You can either eat it or we're going to have a problem. And so he said, well, that's a lot, man. And, and, and he, he ate it. But I just said, I'm out of principle. I said, I'm not taking that loss on this thing. It wasn't my fault. So I'm going to get the money from you. Because Prince was like, that's your dude, Morris. It's your cat. You handle it. That's the trickle-down situation. You know, that's, you, I didn't hear nothing from you. So you go talk to your guy. He works for you. And so <laughs> that's what I did. And fortunately, he decided not to fight and give me the money. Because <laughs> so, I would have lost the fight. So... Uh, so that's so yeah. That was kind of one that was like you know we fought about that one because I said I'm not I'm not eating it, bro. Out of principle, I'm not eating that one. I didn't do anything. I played my parts. It's not my fault. You moved the stage 30 minutes before doors and they got in a hurry and I couldn't get a hold that's of him. Great. I said that's not my fault and I'm not eating. I said this. I said Prince, what would be the difference if the sound man forgot to turn my channels on out at the board? If he didn't turn my channels on, would that be my fault? He said Morris, no fruit bared. I don't wanna argue about it. It's, you know, talk to your dude. And so that's what I did. <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> okay, got a question about the Super Bowl in uh, 2007. And I think you're probably the best person who can confirm this for us. Like, we know that I think you guys filmed a rehearsal just in case, for whatever reason, you couldn't go live and they had that backup. But the actual live show that you guys played in the rain, was everyone playing live? Because it seemed like Prince's mic and guitar were, but there's a there's this big sort of debate going on about whether the rest of the band was or or not. And I just wanted to know what what's your what what do you have to say? <laughs> Are you asking for trade secrets, bro? <laughs> I, don't know. I think that confirms our answer. No, no, I'm just saying though. No, like y'all, see if it's a debate and it's questions going around. We like that. We like to just. Uh, just the questions to just bubble around, because apparently it's, if it's going since 2007, I think I like this. <laughs> ten years, ten years we've been talking about it. <laughs> so you won't get no clarity on it from me, but but uh, the thing, so I, I think that's amazing, because, uh, you, you know, he had a lot of issues. I mean, of course, the way that he do the NFL, I mean, they have a, 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 a program for everything, man. They have a a ritual for everything because it's the biggest show in the game. I don't know nothing bigger than the Super yeah. Bowl in terms of that. So they have a plan. They knew it was going to be like rain. They knew it was going to be bad. They knew it could possibly go south. They knew that. And Prince actually wasn't very happy with the sound. He's never happy on TV shows. It's just always a, a problem. But um, yeah, man, it, it, it was it was pretty bananas. They had a lot of contingency plans. But, you know, man, you know how you get down. Prince had to come bring the heat. But I ain't gonna divulge, no. That I want the debate to continue, and, and and everybody go and like squint real hard and try to figure out what's going on, and they can squint all day, and everybody can have this debate. We are gonna keep it going until twenty to twenty twenty five, and then and then we'll 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 uh we'll like, see if we have the great reveal and all of this thing. So we're gonna do it like that. Okay then. <laughs> And you and the MPG are Australia bound next year in March 2018. Yeah. Uh, what can fans expect? And what are the MPG plans beyond the Australian tour? Like, are you guys playing the 2018 celebration at Paisley Park? 
Well, I don't, I don't know what they do. I'll just the Paisley Park thing. I'm not really sure that, you know, that's still a little early uh, on that front. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't think uh, management has told us that we've been confirmed for anything at that point. And I imagine they're going to try to, to, you know, change things up, you know, every now and again. Or I, I would imagine. I don't know what they're going to do. So there's no news on that front. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, coming to Australia, man, for me, with this crew, you know, I got a lot of the cats from the original band, you know, uh, that's going to be coming back and doing some stuff on different dates and everything. And what the fans can expect is the level of quality that they had when Prince was, was, was the head of the group. I got Kip Blackshire and Andre Simone on vocals. So I'm real happy with these guys. You know, Andre brings a lot of star power to the stage in terms of, you know, he worked with Prince since the beginning, one of Prince's best friends. And uh, Kip is a formidable singer, man. It just got a powerful voice. And the music is going to be on point. We play like we did when we had Prince in there. You know, my whole thing with the band is, uh, what would you do if Prince was here? You had to do the same thing. And so we're going to bring, the, the difference is, we're going to change up the set a bit from Europe, and what we did in Europe, and we're going to bring some new stuff in, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, man, we're looking forward to, like, uh, you know, having that go with uh, Tamar. And, and so it's going to be... It's going to be crazy, man. I mean, we were just looking forward to just like doing a crazy show for the people of Australia. Uh, it's always been a favorite place of Prince to go, and, and uh, it's a favorite of mine now. And uh, so I'm going to make sure that we do everything to make sure these people understand that we ain't missing a beat. And I think moving forward, that you know, we're already talking about doing a record with this NPG. A lot of us have been producers on our own, and so now we're going to bring those things that we learned from Prince and put together something new. I want something like... The Exodus returns, you know, I want it to be like this. I'm going to employ uh, all of our musicians uh, that, uh, you know, Michael Bland, everybody that's sunny and and to 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 make something entirely new and, and something that 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 harkens back to what we learned and what Prince had with this crew. Yeah, that'd be a trip. That would be a trip hearing you guys play now. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So that's what we that's where we at, man. And so that's what I'm looking to do with this crew is put something together like that and then also um, uh, come down there and just just like do what we do as the NPG, man. I mean, it's going to be bananas because we know we got to kill it there. That's one of his, it was one of his nice markets and, and we want to make sure we leave an impression at this Blues Fest. There's some heavy hitters there, man, so we ain't trying to get run over, you know what I'm saying? We're not going gonna to come with our A game. Yeah, I know it's a um, it's a pretty tight schedule when you're down here, but if you've got time, we, we've got to have like face-to-face conversation, man. That would be good. Absolutely. I'd be happy to do it, man. I, like I said, I, I look forward to coming back. I mean, I know it's going to be tight schedule. They're actually looking at uh, adding some dates, I think, in like Perth and some other places, uh, Tasmania. Uh-huh. And, 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 you know, I think the, the response has been really well. And I think they're looking at adding some more dates on it to tagging on the end of this thing. So I'm looking forward to that too, man. And hopefully we'll get to some other places. I hear New Zealand is dope. I'd like to go to New Zealand. I missed it the last time I was there. A friend of mine is from there, uh, Kimbra. And um, uh, so I'd like to go there too. I understand it's like extraordinarily beautiful, just like it is in uh, Australia. So uh, y'all just got so many dangerous animals though, man. What the name of Sam and Dave? It's like, why does everything kill you? It's just like, <laughs> you know? I think if you stay in the cities, you'll probably be okay. Yeah. Probably. Stay with us. We'll protect you. All right. But that's fair enough. Then I'm good, man. So, but we're looking really uh, forward to just coming there, man, and, and experiencing the people and experiencing the vibe, man. I mean, it's a real special. Um, uh, so, you know, we go to a lot of places, man, but uh, 
you know, Australia is a real standout kind of place. It's a unique place, and and uh, and again, another Prince stronghold, man. And so we have to we have to come with our A game there, man. We know we do, so we're gonna be ready. Back in uh, welcome to Australia in 2012. Like we did a podcast like pre tour about what we could expect, and then after after all the shows, we did a review of all the shows we went to. And then what blew our minds was, I think just maybe a day or two after the last shows, literally half the band started like sharing our podcast like on Twitter or Facebook. Do you remember hearing that show at the time? Like, was Prince like, "Hey, listen to this review"? Like, what happened there? It just blew our minds that the band was talking about our review of the shows you guys just did. It was crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, he did actually, and uh, you know, I think it was really something for us because that was a that was a big deal and um you know and again we were real happy with the response and everything too and so that was a real cool thing and it's you know it's crazy because uh, I, I made friends with a dude that's from australia that's like we're like like really good friends and i just remember a lot of the advertisement that was happening at the time uh like at every city we went to it was like us uh, another group and this guy named alston Koch, and 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 it was like like i just remember seeing those placards like everywhere we went like Prince, Alston Koch and then this other group in like every city and I was like what you know and I, I mean I'm not really familiar with a whole lot of groups out of Australia and then I was selling my house in 2013 and Alston came and uh and he and, and um I he didn't tell me who he was at the time I actually looked him up and come to find out this dude's got hit since going back in the 1979 like he's they call him the, the Asian king of pop and it's crazy because he told me he said you know uh, when you guys were there in 2012, he said, I had my placards up. And I said, oh, my God, dude, that was you. And I said, you were in every stop. And I said, the press was, like, so crazy. like And and, and, and so by the time we got to, like, we did all the shows, and then I, I think that podcast and everything, and, you know, Prince always, you know, again, he liked great reviews. And, and you know, like, you know, who doesn't? Uh, but I think that was very poignant. And it was just like, yeah, check this out, you know, because anytime we had something cool like that, he showed it to me and like, you know, kind of like tossing from me, like, check this out and this, that and the other. So that was really cool, man, that we had um, a situation where we could, uh, 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 you know, we had such a, uh, a positive uh, kind of a vibe that, you know, that just talked about what had, had transpired. And so that was cool. We're just happy to know that he listened to the show as well. I mean, we, we know that he started listening in around 2009, 2010, but when, yeah. when he starts like going... Oh, Damaris, listen to this show. Like, live, listen yeah, to this show. Right. And he's like sending it out to the MPG. We're like scratching our heads, going, "Man, he listens to to us. This is fantastic." Oh, yeah, man. So, so, so definitely, man. So I think that was cool, but but that was that was kind of a big deal. I have a question about um, your performance of Days of Wild back in 1994, where Prince shaved your head. How did that come about? Was that your <laughs> suggestion or Prince's suggestion? Is there a story behind that? There is a story, of course, and uh, it was crazy. Okay, the, the the first part of the story is this: when I when I first started working with with Brown Mark in like the eighties, you know, I used to be like a studio kind of cat that I would do programming for Mark or whatever he needed in the studio, like you know, kind of like an intern, kind of like a vibe. And we were talking about like some of his days back before it was a revolution when he was just like took over after Andre Simone left, and uh, I remember him talking about one time he was like, "Yeah, man." Whatever you do, don't ever let Prince cut your hair. And I'm like, what? Like, why would Prince cut my hair, bro? Like, well, he cut my hair and they jacked it up. And I'm like, he said, I was in that one video. And I said, oh, yeah, dude, I just thought that was just some kind of punk thing. y'all." He said, no, he just jacked my hair up, man. 
And I was like, why would you let him cut your hair, dude? He's like, well, he's just rock and roll, you know? And I'm like, dude, you're like stupid. <laughs> you know, like you're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> but but um, so fast forward, um, we had been doing a lot of videos and a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I was thinking about, man, I'm going to change my look up a little bit. But, you know, when you when you shoot videos, especially when you shoot videos with Prince, uh, you, you can't just go and just arbitrarily do something. That, like Prince would do, like, after we shoot something, he'd come like a couple weeks later and say, we need to do some pickup shots. I looked at that footage. We need to go do some pickups. If I had shaved all my hair off, that would jack up the continuity of the video. It would be a problem. So before we did anything drastic like that, I went to him and I said, hey, bro, I'm going to shave all my hair off. I'm, I'm going to do something different. And he said, um, and I said, so should I, I said, is, is it cool or, you know, that I do this? I don't want to jack up any videos. He said, no, it's fine. I think we got all of what we need. But then I was leaving. He said, you know what, though? He said, take, we had a dude named Paris Patton. That was our video guy at the time that just hung around. He recorded everything. He did also do the thing that we did in London that we shot uh, the Undertaker, uh, uh, I mean, the uh, Sacrifice of Victor thing. And uh, Paris was there and he said, you know what? Uh, second thought, he said, take Paris with you and let him just film you getting your hair cut. I'm making use of it in some, something. I don't know. Just take Paris with you. And I'm saying, oh, okay, cool. And uh, so I'm like, okay. I, I went to Paris. I said, Prince wants me to, when I go to the barbershop, he wants you to bring the camera and just film me getting my head shaved off or whatever. And he's like, oh, okay. Because I was just going to go and get it like all hooked up and then get him to like shave it with the razor and get it all like a, like a straight orange, like super slick. You know, so I wanted them to do it. So I didn't do it right away, and I and it was it was around the time we were going to do the uh, the NBA All Star party, and we were going to have a jam session. And so um, I go to the slam, I go to the club, and he's sitting there with this guy named Ahmad Rashad, who was like a sportscaster, like for the NFL and all. I mean, for the in, uh, for all of this stuff. And so Ahmad was in town, and like Shaq and all of these people, and so. I go up and I see him and Ahmad talking and I go and go to sit down and Prince introduces me. He said, hey, Ahmad, this is my keyboard player, Morris. And so, I, you know, I met him. I said, hey, brother, how you doing? That kind of stuff. And then I sat down and, and, and then Prince, he said, um, I said, yeah, I, I talked to Paris and then he's going to come. And he says, I, I got a better idea. He said, why don't you let me cut it and, and uh, we'll do it at the show. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, Mark Brown told me never let you cut my hair. And he said, well, I can't mess it up. <laughs> He said, you're going to shave it ball, right? And I said, yeah. Well, he said, well, how can I mess it up? I can't ruin it. And I said, wait a minute. Do I get hazard pay? And he just start laughing, you know. But he said, I can't mess it up. You're going to shave it off, right? Because <laughs> I said, hey, wait a minute. He told me don't ever let you cut my hair, dude. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, and so I said, okay. And then he turns to my, I said, dude, he, he got so happy. He says, dude, my, uh, he said, my keyboard player is going to let me cut his hair at the gig. And Ahmad was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> That's, you know, he's like, okay. So we get to the thing, man. And he says, until uh, we get the plan, we say, okay. He said, what we're going to do is, these are the days of wild. He says, get the he get the hairdresser to like really bouffant it up real good. Like have her like press it all out and really whip it up like Morris Day, really tall. So it's all foofy. And then you're going to put your... Uh, your, your jacket with the hood on it and then I'm going to pull off the hood and your hair is going to be sticking up and then I'm just going to like scrape it a few times, you know. And I'm like, okay. That's, this sounds interesting, you know. It's crazy. So we doing the days of wild, man. I got on the hood. You know, it's like we doing a thing and all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, uh, his hairdresser has set up the razor and everything by my keyboards and everything. And so he just came over 
And it was so crazy, man. He like, like took a couple of swipes. And, and it just hair went everywhere. It was in my mouth, in my keys, in my eyes. Like, it was hair everywhere, bro. And um, I just remember, like, just just hair just getting down and everything. And then he only did, like, like three swipes or something like that. And then I just had a, just a half-cut head. It was just like, just like he just took a couple of chunks out of it. I thought he was just going to like shave it all down, but he just only wanted to scrape it like a few times. And he said, you know, his girl would just, and so she actually shaved the rest of it during the next song, which was, I think, uh, now. So she shaved off the rest of it during the next song. And I remember we was coming, we were coming off the stage like after every couple of songs. And I remember coming off the stage after that song. And, uh, and I stood about two, I'm six foot five. So I stood about two steps down from Prince, he was so excited, like he was jumping up and down. He was like, dude, that was amazing. He kissed me in the top of my head. <laughs> and he said, dude, he's like, that. nobody does that. That's rock and roll. He was so excited, man. He was like a kid. He was just like, he said, that was the coolest thing ever. He's like, Morris, you just, we just, this was like rock and roll. You got you cut your hair like on the middle of a song. And he just was so geeked up. And he kissed me in the head twice, like, I was like, ooh, it was kind of weird, but that—that's what he did, and it, and it was like that was the days of wild, and it's just like, and and he said nobody's done anything like that, and I was like, yeah, that was kind of crazy, but that's that's what that moment was, man. That's in, insane. It's like you say, days of wild. It seems like it was always kind of the days of wild, you know. Like I've heard you talk about Prince's ability to visualize things and then manifest yeah. his desires in the real world. You said something along those lines. That must have happened more than once. And can you think of a time where you actually saw something like that happen in front of you? Absolutely. I mean, I remember when I was with Maceo, like in 2004, I remember Prince kind of telling me about, I, I live, he built the house for me across the street from his house. So I lived right across the street from him. And um, he saw me in the yard uh, one day. I was just standing out in the front yard with my dog or something. And he came over and he, he asked me if I wanted to come by the house real quick. And I said, sure. So I, I got in the car with him. I went over to his house. He had just remodeled it. It was really dope in there. And um, it was like a, a lot of stuff. Musicology had just shot that video, showed me that video and some other stuff. And we just got to talking, you know. And he said, um, and it's and I can count on one hand the amount of times I've went to Prince's house too, man. I've only been like to his house maybe three times in 20 years. So, you know, we were just sitting in there talking about, you know, catching up. And, and then he said, well... You're going to hear a bunch of stuff, he said, because I'm about to do some things that's going to upset the industry. And he just started telling me all this stuff he's going to do. And he said, they're not going to like it. And it's going to be real crazy. I wanted you to hear from me because when you start hearing like all of this crazy stuff, don't get alarmed. And he just told me like how he was going to like put the ticket price. Uh, I mean, his record inside Musicology was going to go inside the ticket price for like sound scan. They're not going to like it. And, and all of this stuff that he was doing at the time, man. And then he said, so you're going to see a lot of press and it's not going to all be good. And sure enough, man, like everything he said happened just like he said. Every single thing. Like it was a big stink about it. It was, you know, this whole turmoil about when well, you can't do that. And he said, yeah, I can. Not only can I do it, I am doing it. <laughs> so it was crazy. And just to see everything unfold exactly like he told me it would. Like it was, it was like surreal, man. Because I'm saying that dude said it. And I'm watching the news, and everybody's like, Prince is on another one. He's, he's trying to sell his ticket, and it was crazy. It was really crazy. 
So it was, it was, it was, you know, I've seen that happen on different occasions, but I just remember that because he named off a bunch of stuff. It was almost like a Bible prediction, like, like the end times when they, they're the prophesizing what's going to happen. That's what that was like, because he told me not only they're not going to like it, it's going to be a big upheaval in the industry about this and about that. And, he, and it was exactly like he said it was going to be. I noticed that whenever Prince talks to you, he seems to do this, uh, the Morris voice. Is that a continuation of the tricky voice that he did with Morris Day? Because your Morris, he sort of carried that over with you. Yeah, it was, it was always funny. I remember I, I checked him on that one time because he was, you know, he went to this little voice that he'd do like, yeah, you know, Morris Diamond. And, and I remember being at Paisley and I said, I said, Prince, why are we whispering? This is your building. <laughs> And he said, oh, yeah, this is my building, ain't it? You know, so it, was, it was really crazy because he, he had um, he, he had really would, would do that. I think it was just a funny way of just doing it. That was his kind of funny voice. And so um, so that was that was just one of those hilarious things that he would do, man. And it was it was it was crazy. But it was funny to me. And it just was just it's his way of kind of being funny. But I noticed that he would always do that when, like, when he would be talking about something like that, because almost like he thought the place was bugged or something. Like, I'm putting my careers in this building. I don't want people to know what we're talking about. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I always thought. Like, like, do you think it's because I'm thinking if it's bugged, you had it bugged. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I don't know why you you think the government has tapped in on yours. You know, so. <laughs> But but he would just go into that, and that's what I have so many conversations like that where he would do that, and we just laugh and slap fives, and you know just like what he would do on the movies and stuff, and it was just always funny to me because he he said I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen, so it's gonna be like this, and the people are gonna get upset, they're gonna get upset, Morris, but I'm not gonna care about that. They just can get upset. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, every time you do that voice, it is just like you can't stop laughing. We can't stop laughing. It's just the funniest thing ever. But that's what it was for me, cause he's doing it, and I'm sitting there dying too. And then I'm I go in with him, you know. I'm like, yes, yes. And then what's gonna happen? <laughs> see, see, then it's gonna be upset and turmoil all throughout the universe, cause they're gonna be upset about it. Black man getting his money, they ain't gonna like it, but that's okay. You know, don't you like me? You know, he would do that. And it'd just be, it'd just be funny, you know, and 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 that was what's the fun part about it. But he was deadly serious about that stuff, though, man. He would go in and just totally be like, "I'm not kidding. I mean, I'm joking, but I'm, I'm you know, but I'm not kidding about it." It was, it was crazy, man. But uh, but he was really about business at the end of the day. Um, just, just really making sure that things were done to where he was like breaking new ground because he did that on so many occasions, man, where he just uh, would refuse to accept the status quo and he was gonna always challenge the system. And that was something he did throughout his career. And how would you like to see Prince's legacy continue in terms of albums and video releases and remasters, that sort of stuff? Here, here's what I would hope. Uh, you know, I've availed myself to the, to the, uh, the family they know that uh, I was around Prince a long, long time. And there's other people around him as well. What I've said to them is simply this. Uh, I'm a, if they need me for anything, for any, any, anything that I can provide for them, I'm, I'm available. I'm here for them. What I would hope, uh, it's important to me that Prince's legacy is preserved. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the vault and 
you know, I'd be happy to see a lot of stuff in the vault that people be able to hear because there's some amazing stuff in there. So I would hope, but what I would hope that they do, and I don't have any say in anything that they decide to do, is up to them. But I, w I know that myself, uh, Terry, Lee, Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam, you know, Andre, Sheila, Morris, whoever, uh, if they would get a, a committee of us, uh, you know, Susan Rogers, like different ones who I know uh, uh, have a, uh, a interest in seeing that Prince's legacy be, you know, done as well as it possibly can be. And, and we all make ourselves, uh, you know, available to them to just have a committee of us that just can say, let's get all get together and just like put our heads together and make sure that whatever happens is done as best as possibly can be done and then just have that many people that knew him and knew the music and knew what he, you know, kind of wanted. Because, you know, he was around the band a lot. He was around us like family. And, and a lot of us, you know, heard his wishes and heard some of the things he said. And I think when you're talking about professors like Jam and Lewis and, you know, and Sheila and different people that know him and know that music, you know, I think that all of us putting our heads together can make sure that, you know, that um, that, can be upheld and that can be done. I mean, at the end of the day, it's their choice. They're the family. It's, 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 it's their situation now. But I just want them to know that we are available to be of assistance to them in that regard. That's what I personally would like to see. And they don't have to put me on it or, you know, or any of the other people that I said specifically because I don't know what their relationships is with any of those folks. And I'm just suggesting that all of those people, I believe, I've talked to them, many of them myself, and I know that they would definitely be up for like uh, it being of assistance in some regard like that if they needed them to be on some kind of advisory panel or something uh, that could help uh, make sure that all of that stuff is like it's, it's mixed properly. It's not just willy-nilly put out there. You know, it's like there's some, you know, a good buddy of mine, Corey Tellison, is like a prince. Uh, this dude knows historian stuff like this crazy. I mean, and you know, Karen Sharma and Jill Willis, like all the people who work there, you know, like uh, different people, Craig Rice. I mean, there's all kinds of people that have, that were there, that's been there from day one, even before I was there, that knows about stuff. And I just would like to see as many of those people like that be represented uh, in just helping them to, to, to like curate this stuff and just make sure that everything comes out in a, in a cool and proper way. This is my last question. Prince was known for changing his band um, every few years. And uh, did you ever feel that Prince placed unreasonable expectations on a, on a band member um, knowing their fear that they could be replaced at any moment? And um, did you ever feel this pressure yourself? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always felt every day was my last day for the most part. I, I mean, dude, if I had known in any sort of regard that I would have been there as long as I have, I would own apartment buildings right now because I would have completely done things differently. I, I, I never in my own setting figured, uh, I never figured that I would, would stay that long. I remember the first tour that I went on, I bought, I'd, I'd saved up some money from rehearsal to buy a camera because I thought I'd only go to Europe one time and that would be it. And I spent all my money on this really dope camera so I could just film it and then I would be set and that would be my thing. So I just never assumed that I would last that long. And I think that was a good thing though because it kept me on my toes. It never let me get to be complacent to where, um, you know, I think by the end 
I had, you know, I kind of could see the handwriting on the wall, and I just kind of, you know, just checked out a bit at the end because I could, you know, we had 12 horn players, and I'm just like, well, a lot of my parts went to horns. And so, I, I, you know, I'm getting all this money to play bongos, basically. So it just was like, I kind of figured, like, yeah, I won't be long now, you know? So it won't be long for me. So I just kind of checked out mentally and just was like, you know, whatever it is is whatever it is. And so, you know, I think you get that way when you get toward the end and you just feel like, yeah, I know my days are numbered, so I just don't have the same fire that I had about it. Because you can see it's inevitable, you know? So, but uh, I think... What kept me in that position to be there long, I never felt like I was secure in, in my job there. I never felt that way. Okay, my last question. Uh, I'm sure almost every interview will probably ask you a question similar to this, and that's what did you learn from Prince? But I can, I'll, I'll twist that around and ask you, do you think there's anything that he learned from you? Like, did you one day, oh. you played some some tricky chord one day and he's like, ah, what's that? I'm going to use that. Or did he not say anything? And then later on in a song, you'll hear that same thing and you'll be like, hey, that was my thing. Oh, yeah. I had I had yeah. a few moments like that. I think everybody will over that much time. And you eventually, even if it's by accident, or hit something cool. And uh, for sure, I've been able to do that. But I, I think most of the stuff like Prince learned from me wasn't about music. It, it just was about uh, a person. I'm, a, You know, look, man, I'm, a, I'm just an everyday Joe. And, uh, you know, Prince was this big rock star. And sometimes I had to ground him a little bit in terms of like, you know, because everybody kind of would treat him like this thing. And I just would keep it 100 yeah. a lot of times, man. It just sometimes the emperor needs to know they don't have any clothes on. You know what I'm saying? And I was in my role sometimes to just bring him back a little bit and just to put the human thing on him because, you know, uh, Prince was a rock star since he's 17 years old. That's all he really knew since he's been an adult was he was a rock star. So a lot of stuff, he was like not in touch with reality as how it is from the common man. Like, you know, he was always like, yeah, Morris, you got to dress like this. I said, Prince, I can't go to Walgreens and that stuff. I think people will run me out of here if I look like you going somewhere. You can do that, but I can't dress up like They'll call the cops on me, man. <laughs> like, I can't look like that and then just walk in and you get to the McDonald's or something. And I'm just looking like <laughs> I just walked off the stage. I, you, know, you are the only one that can be Superman 24-7. He never put on Clark Kent clothes. He was always Superman. Yeah. I like my anonymity. I like being able to go places and nobody knew who I was and, and it was cool for me. He couldn't do that. And so he didn't have a, the, the same grasp of reality that I had. It's like, Prince, you can't do it. You can't do average stuff. But then he did it in the end. You know, he started going to coffee shops and just going to places and doing stuff like normal people. I bought him a bicycle and, and, you know, he had many bikes, but I bought him one. And he just started going to places and doing stuff like what is. And, and that's what that's what he would do. But but uh, he had to come to that place. But back then you just couldn't do that. And so sometimes I just had to just keep it real, keep it 100 you know, about the religion thing. I mean, Prince came to my house one time, man, and freaked me out, man. I mean, this dude freaked me out. I had to call my wife and just be like, I had to sit in the room and get myself together because he came to my porch. Now, I lived, he was in a gated, you know, security gate in front of his driveway, and you had to go. I lived in, like, a little area, me and Kirk, where it was just like we lived in this little development that was just right across the street from his from his driveway. And he bought our places there so nobody else could really put anything there. He had me and Kirk be there. And um, and he came to my house one day, man. He had Bria with him. And, and he just told me. He came 
and I was, I think I was cooking something, and it was some meat, and he didn't want to come in the house, so he just stayed out on the porch, and he just said, you know, and he just had this whole speech with me, and I'm, I'm really grateful Brio was there because it's somebody that can corroborate what I'm saying, you know, any any of these stories that I tell like this, man, I, you know, it's important that people tell the truth, and that because Prince is not here to defend a lot of stuff people say. You know, some of these things I hear is just like simply not true because it's like, you know, you didn't do that. You know, you didn't say that, you know. And so it's important yeah. that, 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 that I'm accurate about the record, about the history, and I don't embellish it and make it up. And I'm glad she was there because if she hadn't been, nobody would ever believe this story that I'm saying. This dude got on mm -hmm. his knees and told me he appreciated me and he, he, he loved me for for the people that he's introduced, that I've introduced to him over the years and that he really loves and the people that I've introduced, he kissed my hand and told, and, and, and I was like, you know, I'm on the porch in front of my neighbors, like they could see. And I'm, I'm thinking it's like, I'm waiting for the candid yeah. camera people to jump out of the weeds and talk about, ha ha, it's candid camera. Cause I'm like, I'm not yeah. believing what this dude is doing right here. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm tripping, man. So, I mean, and this dude is telling me this stuff. And, and she's standing there and he's like on his knees. And I thought it was, I had to call my wife. I said, you would not believe what just happened here. I said, Prince just came over to our house and got on his knees on our porch and told me that he loves me and that, you know, he's sorry he's hard on me sometimes and all of this stuff, man. It, when I think about it, it, it almost brings me to where I was at that day. I had to sit down and collect myself. I didn't believe, it was just unbelievable. And, and so I was like, wow. You know, when we had some honest talk, and it was just, it was, it was, it was stunning to me. It was stunning. And I, and I just well, sat in like, the chair, and I just like, I, I, I just had to, like, like I could, I was stuttering like I'm, I, 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 I was like that. Like, there's a, I think it's a pretty common saying in the Prince fan community, and that's always been Prince lives in Prince world. But it's good to see that, you know, later on, he sort of. You know, was stepping away from that, which I think was probably a good thing for him to to try and do that as well. Yeah, I, I think it's just like everything. It was dehumanization. I mean, he, he, yeah. he I saw him graduate into did that over the years. It just got more so and more so. By the time he got to the Third Eye Girls, it was just like family. You know, he was riding there all on a Learjet with him, and just just it was just more cozy and more cool. He was just a different cat, you know. And I'm glad I'm glad about it. I'm, I'm glad he just got to a point where it was just all of that other stuff kind of melted away and it's just humans and it's just cats. It's just like family. And I think that's what it kind of got to, you know, it was funny. I did this, uh, this, this, this TV show that, uh, Senna Homery, a good friend of his, uh, his executive producer of the show empire, which is a big show here. And uh, she did a special, like, you know, kind of Prince, uh, segment in the show that she did. It was really cool. And, uh, I just, I just think that, um, when I met Josh and, and uh, you know, I, I knew Hannah and Josh and all that, but I didn't really know him well. And, and, and really meeting him at this show, man, it was just kind of cool to talk to him at length and just kind of know the kind of folks they were. And I, and I really like them. I think they're good people. And, and, and I'm just glad that he had people around that he felt like that about. And, and he, I mean, he said good words to me about Josh and how he felt about him. And, and, uh, and when I met him, I said, yeah, this is a good dude right here. I like this cat. You know, that's the feeling that I walked away with. And I, and I mm. could see where he was getting comfortable with them. And, and he saw Josh as a, as a young, 
uh, cat that he could mentor and, and really work on and, 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 and groom for that position. And so I'm, I'm happy he did, man. I'm happy that he got closer and got to be more like that. Um, but I'm just happy that he came to that place before he left this world, man, that they just got to where it was just things was like, like everyday people. Cause it wasn't for so long, man. Prince couldn't do anything like go to the, the you know, the, the caribou or the Starbucks and get coffee. Mm. And just, he couldn't do anything like that. And he got to a place where he could. And I'm just glad he just got a chance. It's like, you know, him and Michael Jackson and a lot of people, like they live tortured lives sometimes, man, cause they can't do and interact like other people can. And I just was grateful that he got a chance to just be a regular guy sometime. When he went in the hardware store with me, man, and just we're in there shopping, picking up crap in the hardware store. I mean, it was just like crazy because it's just a scene in like out of a movie or something. I mean, but 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 I was, you know, it, it was funny, but it was cool because there was a time when he would have never been caught in a hardware store. Forget about it, man. It's not going to happen. It appears there's so many sides to Prince and so many contradictions and so much variety and i guess hearing him you know exclaim to you how thankful and grateful he was for for meeting you and for everything you brought to his life and his music that must have been an amazing amazing feeling i guess my question is do you think people appreciate how multifaceted of an artist he was and also how multifaceted his band was and i guess how how multifaceted you are as well well i don't, I don't think I think while he was alive, of course, I think one of the biggest problems with Prince is he did so many things well. I just said this in another interview, and I think it's something I really believe. It's that he did so many things well that he oftentimes got underrated. You know, like his guitar playing, for instance. I, whenever I pick up one of these Rolling Stone articles or whichever, whatever guitar magazine or whatever it is that rates the 100 greatest guitar players, he's never like in the top 10 of those people and granted there's a lot of great guitar players out there but this dude can play and got massive hits that were like big giant hits you know that were number one songs I mean and Steve Vai is dope you know he is a guitar slinger make no mistake about it but Prince should be in the same class to me as some of them cats man and it's just always gets kind of like I read them and be like this is crazy like he's like come on man you know, and I think it's because he could do so much. Prince could be a bass player in anybody's band and been the dopest bass player. Same with drums, same with keyboards, same with guitar. But he could do that. He could sing. He could dance. He could do all of those things so well that I think people just kind of poo-pooed him on individually those things as a bass player. And he's a bass legend just on his own. And so... And I think that was frustrating for him, too. I mean, because it's like, you know, he had excelled at all of these different things and people knew he could do it. But I don't think they quite understood that bass players would be like, oh, my God, this dude. Steve Vai gave me a guitar for him and, like, did the bow and everything. Like the That's crazy. Gave me a guitar. And it was a funny thing because, you know, I took it to Prince and, and he said, what's this? I said, um, I said, oh, man, Steve is over in the studio and he, he wanted you to have this, man. It's a... It's one of his signature seven strings. He said, I can do what I need to do with six. <laughs> 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 I said, oh, my God, Prince, it's just a gift, man. Just take it, bro. As a guitarist, I think he was always sort of underrated, and it wasn't really till that, um, that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yeah. where like the general public were like, Prince can do that? Exactly. Before that, they didn't really know, but that was what that just blew up after that. It did, and I think that's where they really got it. You know, and he told me about that, too. He said, uh, and that was around the same time, I think, that I uh, was at his house, and we talked about it. And he said, uh, 
I said, Prince, that was got to be one of the double. I said, I've seen you do some solos. I said, but I think you, that was one of your high points in your career, bro. I said, I, I ain't never seen nothing like that. And he said, you know what I did? I said, what'd you do? He said, well, I went half gas on him in the rehearsal. You know, I didn't do all my little tricks. You know, I just went kind of like easy on him in the rehearsal. But he said, when the show kicked in, I had to go on and get him. <laughs> I said, yeah, man. <laughs> I said, oh, my God, dude, you went and got him, dude. I said, that was unbelievable, man. I said, Prince, that, that was, I said, bro, seriously, I've seen you do some stuff. I think that you just creamed everything I saw. And, and another thing, man, I saw Eric Clapton, man. I mean, he's always been hailed as one of the guitar gods, man. And I remember seeing an interview with Eric Clapton where they asked him, like, how does it feel to be, like, one of the greatest guitar player? And he said, you should ask Prince. That's what Eric Clapton said. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. How's it feel? Because that's who you need to talk to. So, and a lot of, you know, and I think it was kind of bum Prince out to get it oftentimes, you know, compared to Eric Clapton or something like that. But Eric Clapton even didn't compare Prince to him. And I, and I love Eric for that because he just was like, yeah, I do what I do, man. But that's a cat right there. Prince is your, is your dude. That's who you need to talk to. That's your, that's your boy. And so that's real, man. I mean, and it's like he's humble enough to just say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, hey, I do what I do. But this is a guy y'all need to look at, too, you know. Um, and I think that's pretty severe uh, for Eric Clapton to say that because, you know, he didn't have to. He just could have took it and been like, yeah, well, thanks. You know, I do what I do, you know. But he just said, no, you should ask Prince <laughs> how it feels because that's, that's who the baddest I think is, you know. So th that that was the kind of thing that I think that, 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 that escaped him. Uh, but I think what's going to happen is, man, people have noticed it now. And they noticed it after, like you said, uh, I think they saw it at that thing, like, holy smokes, this guy. And I think at the Coachella Festival that we did in, like, 2007, and when we played the, you know, Radiohead track, uh, Creep. Creep, yeah. Oh, man, that's a mind, mind buster. I think that was unbelievable, man. I, and, and I told him that night, I said, Prince, I mean, it's like, you know, 60,000 kids here. And a lot of these kids don't even know your music like that, man. And you have just won them over. Because you played this Tom York thing, and and and, uh, and and they went banana sandwiches, man. You know, I said they went banana sandwiches. It was crazy. You endeared yourself to a group of kids that didn't know nothing about you prior to this. You know, they yeah, I know Prince, but I don't really know what it. They know now. Yeah, I, I remember when that was when that came out. That was that was blowing people's minds. I mean, and even you can see footage of people in the audience, and the whole place just. The vibe changes. Everyone's like, what? He's doing it, what? It went bananas. It was like, you know, it was crazy. I, it was unfortunate that all the other stuff that happened out as a result of it happened because he wanted to get it all off the internet. And that was just a YouTube thing. It was just the, I don't want, yeah, I don't want, you know, them doing, you know, making, making their living off of me. But, but, um, aside from that, it was a pivotal moment, I think, you know, because it opened him up to a whole nother group of kids. It was like, holy smokes, this one they call Prince is amazing. Because a lot of the, I mean, that place was lit like a Christmas tree. It was crazy. Who brought that song to him? Or did he come with it and say, like, he this is what we're going to do? That was his idea. He came with it and he, oh, wow. he, he liked the song. He just changed some of the lyrics and, and that sort of thing. But he liked it. And I remember him saying, yeah, I want to learn this song. And he told me, he said, I want you to play the you know, uh, just find your, he's a, he had a favorite patch I used to play where I used to double his parts with the, the guitar sounds. And he just told me, yeah, Morris, you just play the other guitar pad and I'll play over the top of you kind of thing. And so that's what, um, and that's what I did. And I had to play that vamp for so long. I just said, I hope I don't screw it up. Cause, and then I'm glad I didn't cause it was just a legendary performance, man. Just like, it, it was epic to me.
Yeah, it, and it's it's frozen in time. I know so many Prince fans and just music fans around the world who have just been jamming to that ever since it came out and just replaying it. It's one of those iconic performances, yeah. you know? It is, man. It'll go down in the books like Woodstock or like Jimi Hendrix. It's like, it's that kind of thing to me. It's like one of those moments. I'm just grateful, man. I could even be a part of that, man. It's just like, because that was really something for him. Yeah. Morris, I've only got a couple of last things left. One of the things is, you know, we talk so much about Prince and and you've been so generous with your time and with your memories. One of the things that I remember you hear, I hear, either heard you say it somewhere or I read it somewhere was when he sat down and played you a song called Crystal Ball for the first time. Yeah. And uh, around these parts or on our podcast, we, we go absolutely mental for that track. It's just like, a again, one of those epic classic recordings that, kind of was never really given the the props and the love just because it was hidden on that crystal ball project but yeah we argued about that imagine. too i can't even yeah. imagine you sitting there listening to that for the first time do you remember that experience and what your reaction oh, was to it like yesterday it was like i had just oh, wow. i just kind of like started playing with him you know and i was in the honey i call it the honeymoon period with prince like i could do no wrong it was like he was trying to you know just impress me and he was super sweet to me, like I was like a new girlfriend or something. It was like weird because I could like sit in the room while he was doing vocals, like if he was recording and then I come to find out later, like I remember telling Levi like, yeah, man, it was cool. I was in there with Prince, he was recording vocals. And they were like, you were in there? He was recording vocals, he let you stay? I'm like, yeah, I was just like, dude, he don't let nobody come in when he's doing vocals. Like you were in there. And I'm like, yeah, I was just hanging out. And so, he was playing. He was just pulling stuff out the vault, and he's like, um, "Go get Crystal Ball," and they bring Crystal Ball up, and I'm sitting there listening. And I'm like, "Going, dude," and the song starts, and so I'm like, I'm listening to this thing, and then it's going, it's going, you know, and I'm listening, man, and I'm like, "Wow, this is this is crazy." You're like, "Who's playing drums?" He said, "I am." I'm like, "Okay, this is crazy." Who's playing bass? I am, and I'm like, "Keyboards, I am." So I'm like, so you playing everything? Because I know you played guitar. So, so I'm like, everything except for Claire Fisher, the string stuff. Prince is playing everything. And I'm like, Prince, this song is like, at the time, I'm like, it's like 10 or 12 minutes long. So I said, wait a minute. I said, it's changing tempos. I'm like, this is crazy. Like, you, how do you, so you, you play the drums for t- 15 minutes, just drums. drums. Yeah. What, one take? Well, you know, yeah. You, you take a take. And then you just, you play the bass for 15 minutes. Like, and so you keep doing this over and over till you got all of those parts down. I said, how? How can, but it's changing all over the place. It's like, it's like, and he's like, he said, I see everything done in my head. So. Oh my God. So, he, so his whole, the whole answer to that was, he said, it's done in my head before I do it. All I'm doing when I play is executing because I've already know what I'm playing in my head. So all I do is I play the drums. I already know where the change is going to come because I just thought of all of it. It's all up there. And, it, you know, and he do that voice, you know, because I'm a genius. You, see, I didn't write it. I didn't write it down because I'm a genius. Are you a genius? Because if you, if you don't have to write it down, then you're a genius. And I was like, dude. So I'm just, you know, dude, I'm, I'm literally like throwing up. I'm like, this is unbelievable. How can you even, I mean, it must have took you a year to do this, to like remember all that. Like, no, no, it's done. He said, and, and I asked him that even when we were shooting basketball, he never missed. 
and I'm six foot five, bro. I'm a tall dude. So I, I thought at least I can beat him on the court. I can't beat him in music, but I can beat him on the court. He would beat the sugar out of me on the court. I was just like, dude. And I asked him, I said, how do you do that? He said, everything I do, I see it done before I do it. When I shoot the ball, I already see it made in the hoop before it leaves my hand. I see it complete. So all I'm doing is executing. Everything is that way, Morris. I see it finished in my head, and then I execute it. That is the difference. It's like, that's crazy. It's like uh, listening to Freddie Mercury talk about how he composed Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, that's when I hear you talking about that, it's like Prince composing Crystal Ball in his head. That, that yeah. is just not normal. No, it's not normal. And you know what? His favorite movie was uh, Amadeus, and, and he told me that. And I hadn't seen the movie. I mean, uh, at the time he mentioned it to me, I had the movie, but I never saw it. I had a bunch of movies. Prince used to come to my house to borrow movies because I just buy them like by the boatloads. He just called my house Blockbuster because I just had so many movies. And he wouldn't he'd tell his date or whatever. I don't go to the Blockbuster. I just come to Morris's. He's got everything. And and, and I never get them back, but, you know, it was cool. His Prince took the movies, all right. But but uh, one of the things was man, it just was it, it was it was so crazy that um, I, I, that you that he could totally just everything like that just just do that and figure that out and be like done, and you just have no clue as to how like how it's it's bananas. You know I don't I don't I don't even know what my original point on that was, but it it, it just it was so. <laughs> that the whole process I think is the process that how he would just just figure these things and just do these things but like you said everything is was like he saw it materialized it and in its execution so it was it was crazy bro it was real crazy and just tracking towards the I guess the last few years when was the last time you saw him or spoke to him it was um he came to uh to LA the area to do some gigs in Anaheim with Third Eye Girl, and he called me and and, uh, and said that you know ask if I would come down uh, to the Third Eye Girl thing, and 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 I said sure, you know I, I live in L.A. so I you know I drive to Anaheim takes about an hour and some change, something to go down there. I said yeah, I'll come down, and uh, I went to see Third Eye Girl, and that was the the last time I saw him. I communicated him by via email after that if he needed some samples or he needed something. And, you know, even after I was gone, he would just call me if he needed anything. And so I just would, you know, get a request here or there for some sample he needed or something. And and that was it. But that's the last time I saw him. And it was crazy because I, I really didn't, I hate to say it, but I, I, I almost, I was like, man, I don't feel like going out to Anaheim tonight. But 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 he had asked me about a couple other things and I didn't do it and I just said you know I don't want him to get the feeling like I'm I'm not trying to like I'm ungrateful or I don't want to be hanging around him or something just because I'm not in the band anymore so I don't want to be like that so I said I'm gonna go and uh, I went and of course man it was like star studded it was a lot of people I remember Paul Peterson was there and a lot of people and man and and, and I always knew that when you're gone from Prince. I already know the drill, man. So I wasn't trying to be all like, I'm going to kick it and go hang backstage and all of this. I was like, cool. With, like, I, I saw it. He acknowledged me from the stage, you know, while I was standing in the crowd and people didn't know me. And they were like, he's talking to you. Like, you know, they didn't know who I was. And, um, uh, but he, you know, he did that. And then after the show, I went to the back and, um, you know, I met some of the people in the band. I didn't know Donna and, um, and, and I, I barely knew. Hannah, but I just, you know, met Donna and, and her husband and everything. 
and I remember just, you know, just everybody, you know, man, everybody's trying to get to him. There's all kinds of celebrities there and all kind of stuff. And so I just like to just, man, I just wanted to pay my respect to say, hey, brother, I saw the show that was real cool. And then get the hell on. Just, you know, head on out because everybody's pushing. And, you know, I know Paul was was going to talk to him. And so I just went up to him and just say, man, I thought that was really cool. Appreciate you for inviting me out, blah, blah, blah. And then I just said, so I know you're busy, man. I see you got a lot of people lining up to see you. So I'm going to go ahead and head on back to L.A., man. And he was like, cool. And that was it. That was the last time. And I guess lastly, you know, looking to the future now, we've heard about your project, the World Symphony for Peace. You've mentioned it in other places online. And yeah. I mean, the way I understand it, you're basically traveling around the world or have been traveling around the world, collaborating with local musicians now. Is that still going on or is that project done? Or is it one of those? Uh, oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's at the very early stages. I mean, what, oh, okay. what, what we're doing is, I mean, I, I lived in uh, with, with Zoe uh, Ryan. It's a, it's, a, it's a dear friend of mine. And she was kind of managing me at one point back, back in the day. And, and Zoe just kind of called me uh, to China to work on the project, just hang out, man. And I ended up spending like five five months there in China, in Shanghai. And um, it was really cool, man, just the whole Chinese vibe of just the people. And, you know, it's funny, man. That's what I love about the whole thing about traveling, man. It's beautiful when you, when you travel because what more what it really does, uh, it, it just, just kind of like shows you that, that Everybody's the same, man. It's really that everybody's got the same kind of thing. They want to be with their family. They want to have a good life. They want to enjoy life. And it just, that's, it's a common thing around the world. You know, and I think when you don't travel and when you don't understand that, you don't understand different cultures and you don't really understand that the core of most people is that we just want to live and let live and, 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 and be cool and just enjoy our family and enjoy our life, you know, work and play and whatever you want to do. And so, you know, you hear when you live in the states. You know, you hear about China, and you, you know, you live in China. You hear about the states, and there's always a lot of propaganda and different things from different countries and different places. And I think what when I got there, never having gone before, it was nothing like what I thought it would be. It was cool, you know. It's like yeah, you feel the weight of the government, kind of like you know the oversight and how that is, and and all of that. But what what I saw was the, the, the people, and it was just cool. I just, I, you know, they were very friendly to me. Uh, of course, I was very friendly to them. I, I, you know, it just was a, a, a very cool experience, man. And I just, uh, you know, did this thing where we just collaborated. I was playing some shows, you know. Zoe wanted me to kind of open up from my former role as a, you know, a, a, a side person for Prince and kind of like coming into my own. And, and so she booked a few, like, living room shows and some club shows where I'm like singing and playing and it's like I don't really do that so and then she got to push me into it and so it really made for a cool situation for me because I not really doing that I just kind of started gaining a little more confidence each time I would do it and so when I got together with these other musicians and there was this wonderful girl named Sasha who's like huge over there like she's already doing like Carnegie Hall uh, you know style type things that she's done uh, has huge followings on their YouTube uh, equivalent, and uh, and we just created some stuff together, and it was just a cool situation of just like meeting somebody, and and, and really coming to a place where you find that it's more things that make us connected than not as human beings, and I think with the World Symphony piece, what what I saw with that, with the vitriol that was happening in America with the elections in 2016, with you know, Trump Clinton and all of this is there was a lot of separation and, 
and polarization of people. And I just wanted to do something that was counter to that and just show that I don't care where you're from, what your religious background, your political leanings, that people can still be humans and we can we can groove together, we can we can jam and we can we can all get along. And just a different side of what was happening. I was so I'm a political junkie and I know a lot about politics and follow politics and it just it got so vitriolic and so bad I just like wanted to do something anti that. And the World Symphony for Peace became that. And and we call, called on Craig Rice who was a war winning director and, and uh and Zoe and we just put something together that said we're gonna go to a bunch of different countries and we're gonna do like what we did in China. I'm gonna go to Australia, I'm gonna go to Sri Lanka, I'm gonna go to uh you know Scotland, uh South America and West Africa and different places to uh to, to meet with people just like we did in that, you know, figure out what's going on in the community, what's happening with with music in their area and then I bring what I bring to the table and they bring what they bring and then you know, I got a, a good friend of mine who's a professor at Berkeley uh, there in Boston who was going to do the string part of whatever we come up with for the songs that require that. If it doesn't, then, you know, we, we won't. But And then at the end of it, we'll shoot this documentary on how we just go around the world making friends and making music and using a musical platform as a way to, to, to spread peace among musicians and among people, just to say, no matter what the politics are, no matter what the, the everything else is, we still can groove. That was a big thing about Prince. When we'd have concerts, he'd tell them, look at us all in here, all different walks of life. And we all on one page right now. We all having a good time. We all grooving. You know, you can have your, whatever uh, uh, your situation was. We all was getting down and we all was having a good time. And I used to love that part in the show when he just stretched his hands out and said, look at all of us, ain't nobody fighting in here. Everybody's cool, we all having it, we all together. And I loved that, man. It was just like, that's what resonated to me. And that's what I'm trying to do with this project. You know, and we're, we're, we're at the early stages, we're trying to raise like 1.9 million so that we can make the film and so we can go to these places and do it. And then whatever that experience turns out being, man, and, and whatever the music turns out being, and what I'm hoping is, is that I make some friends and, and the world gets to see um, uh, what people can do that want to get together and do some good. You know, that's what it's about for me. That sounds cool. And I'm sure, or I'm hoping um, that we can hear, you know, the results of that musically as well. Like musical collaborations may be coming out in a, in some sort of album or record to accompany the documentary. Is that kind of what you think? It'll be a, a feature film, of, you know, of a theater release documentary, and it will be a, a record and maybe a, a tour that accompanies uh, that film uh, of all these people that we end up putting together. We'll get together and then do concerts at places where they have orchestras. Like if, for instance, in Australia, you know, we play that um, that that amazing uh, 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 symphony hall that you have there. It's incredible. Uh, it's one of the most legendary places in the world. I'd love to come there with. You know, with that orchestra and, and and play the play there. You know, with some of the stuff that we're gonna do. That we'll go to any city that has an orchestra, and and put this music up and then just play it and then just have all these people from around the world that we met, Sasha and whomever we're gonna meet on the next parts of the journey. We just have to raise the money for each one of these segments and then go do it and then then release it on the world, man. Go and do a quick few cities and and hit it and then that, that kind of thing spreads that sort of thing and we want to be a catalyst for that I mean for, for doing things like this 
and putting people together because I think that's what the world needs, man. There's just too much craziness going on, man. All these terror things and, and, and crazy things, we have to be a counter to that now. Yeah, completely agree. And look, I'm sure our listeners will uh, will support that. So if you get any details at some point, just let us know, and we'll we'll Absolutely. definitely put the vibe and the and the information out there because it sounds like a real cool project, and uh, especially it's in Thank the you. early stages. So we don't know what it's going to look like yet, which is kind of interesting to see how it all uh, sounds what, and what, feels like in the end. Well, that's the movie, and I think that's you know, man, we've been talking about it, and we're trying to hone the message because it's always tough when you're talking about altruistic type of love and peace and. It's kind of, it just seems like a pipe dream for people and everything. So it's very difficult sometimes when we're trying to like hone the message to, to like get people to understand what it is. But what it mostly is, is it about love. It's about peace. And it's about using music as a platform that has always been for, for change, for social change, and for trying to build something that, that everybody can get something out of that's a, a feel-good thing that makes you feel good. You know, man, I, when you look at us humans, we can do some amazing things, man. Like we're these little creatures on this rock floating in all this universe with just so much vastness. And yet we've figured out life on this little planet, man. And, we've, and we have our little rituals, like everybody's got their little thing that they do. And, you know, uh, all of these things, man. And, and it's like uh, my, my little piece of all of this is that we want to, we, I've learned to play a keyboard somewhat. And some other people have learned the same. They've used it, you know, use their talent. Some can dance, and some can do. It. So we just want to find people like that that has these little talents and these cool things that they can do, man. And we can we can put it all together and entertain some people and make people feel good and escape. You know, music and 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 film have always been escapes. In the worst of times, in the Great Depression, man, the film industry and the music industry thrived because people needed to get away from what was so jacked up about life. And and we're, we're, it seems like to me, man, we're getting places like that, man, with just just how crazy stuff is in the world with some of these politicians and some of this other kind of stuff. It's really getting crazy. People are like afraid. And it's like, like you don't know what's gonna happen in the world. You got North Korea, you got all the stuff here in the States. It's like, it's crazy. So we just wanna go to a place, man, where we can escape some of the crazy and just say, what can we do as, as musicians, as people, to, to, to lift people's spirits and lift people up from, from, from maybe some of these things that's going on in the world? I mean, that's the idea of what we're trying to, what we're trying to accomplish. And, and we're always happy to hear from people their ideas about what they think and anybody that has suggestions about places. And, you know, it's all good, man. I, I have open ears because I, I think part of the journey is I'm discovering myself, man. I, I've done the same job for 20-some years as this, you know, playing behind Prince, and, and, and now I don't, you know, I'm trying to figure out what is, what is my thing, what is my next thing, man, so it's a, it's a bit of discovery for myself, and, and trying to hone what I'm going to do, and what I'm going to be, and what's my contribution, Prince made his mark on the world, man, he's done something, and his life meant something, it, 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 he's left a legacy, he left a body of work that I'll never be able to match anything close to that, and I'm not even going to try, I mean, that's not, who I am. Prince was prolific. He could write stuff and it's like, you know, it's only a few people that's like existed like that. You know, he's a modern day Mozart. And so what I'm going to do though, I do have the skill sets that I have and I do have the things that I've learned. And I think I can put that to use in some way. And like I said, if I can do it for the good and I mean, these type of things, you know, it's, it's not a money thing. And, you know, you don't make a lot of money on documentary films and stuff, but I'm hoping that we can make some kind of mark with humanity and do something that's good for people and just show that everybody, I don't care where you're from, 
on what your government's policies are, that if the people get together, then people can do something. So that's what we're trying to do. Well, Morris, you know, you talk about Prince's legacy, but at least from our point of view and from all the millions of fans around the world, you're part of that legacy and you were a big part, one of the biggest when you look at your contributions over the years. And, you know, you spoke also about feeling good. I have to wrap up by saying this and a heartfelt thanks to you. Uh, you've made us feel good, both with Thank your you. musical contributions over the years, which, I mean, we could spend hours and hours and days and weeks and months talking to you about everything that you've done and you've been involved with. But Today has been such a real treat for us to have you on. Uh, we've been doing this show for about eight years now, documenting and glorifying uh, Prince's music and all the people that have been involved. And you are one of the biggest pieces over the years. So thanks for being so generous with your time and your candor and your honesty as well. Like we appreciate it a lot. And we also look forward so much to seeing you live in Australia in 2018, because uh, I think it's going to be uh, a treat for, for fans and uh Sounds like it's going to be an absolute blast. It's going to be a hoop for us too, man. We can't wait, man. We're very excited about the opportunity to come play. And, and like I said, man, we're grateful to all the promoters and, and and especially all the fans, man, because if it's not for them, we don't have anything, brother. So we, we're very acutely aware uh, of that, man, around the world. And so we're just grateful that we still have a, a platform with Princess fans. And as long as they want us to do this, then we're going to try to do our best to do it. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys taking an interest in what we do and, and supporting the music. And so we much love to you guys. Appreciate it. Oh, man, we've been going for a while. And, and like I said, thanks so much. This has been a real treat for us, Morris. So uh, thanks again for your time. Absolutely. Uh, thank, you for me. thank you, guys. I appreciate it, man.